Welcome to Mecha Nations, a mecha anime critical analysis and rewatch podcast. I am Ignis Maddox, and I sense peace in my heart. I'm PMC Trilogy, and I've never seen this podcast appear as large and foul as it does right now. <laughs> yes, that's true. This is Mecha Nations. Sacrificing your own men? I've never seen the enemy appear as large and foul as they look now. So, so this week I uh, made good on my promise to do runs of Shogo Mobile Armor Division. That's right, and I I didn't expect to get uh, record too quickly, but I was able to successfully implement a grenade jump strategy. Normally, you know, in games like Quake and stuff, those sorts of things, uh, rocket jumps are more common. That's right, yeah, because. If you're getting hit by the splash damage, it tends not to be quite so lethal. Can you, uh, for for people who maybe aren't super into, like we make a lot of assumptions as, mm, as sure. we are true gamers, yeah, obviously, yeah. the two up. of us, we're rising yeah. up. Um, uh, uh, when it comes to, when you say rocket jumping, when you say grenade jump, can you explain kind of what that means? Sure. So in uh, first-person shooters and other games, uh, sometimes explosions will have knockback effects. Uh, so that if you're in the radius of the rocket explosion or the grenade explosion or whatever other explosive you might have, it has this consequence of knocking the player back. Now, uh, that's useful. Uh, for example, if you need to create extra vertical height to get over an obstacle or maybe extra horizontal uh, boost to jump a gap. Uh, and so a common strategy in first-person games and other games that have this uh, element is to you know get your health high and then use an explosive to either uh, overcome something or, or you know uh, be a gap or a fence or whatnot. In my case, it was a fence that was uh, just kind of barring progress. You had to go through a, you know a, a cutscene and you had to walk through a nightclub and sure. stuff like that. But if you're able to get over the fence, and I, I sort of uh, I, I had some hint about this because. Someone on the uh, Speed Demos archive forums in like 2009 said they figured out a grenade jump strat, but this grenade jump strat didn't appear in the segmented run from 2013. Of course, last week we discussed segmented runs. Yeah. Um, And it didn't appear in any of the RTA runs that have been done since then. So that meant there was possibility, right, that this was a strategy that was out there. And the biggest piece of the puzzle that was missing he said very explicitly what fence he was jumping over, and I found he said it very explicitly, and I found it very clear. But then he said, uh, "You know, there's, you have to go, you have to take a little detour in this level to find the weapon. Uh, rockets do too much damage okay. to do a jump to in do Shogo, right? Okay. So in order to do the jump successfully, you need a lower power weapon. Uh, in this case, it's the energy grenades. Okay. But getting an energy grenade, I at that point had not found I, I actually scoured all the on foot portions before that fence in the game looking for this energy grenade and i couldn't find it and the guy said one well, in his forum post he said no this is definitely in this specific level okay and eventually i figured out that you have to enter a building that you have no reason to enter and you have to just point your gun at a guy at a counter, and then the guy will walk around the corner and unlock a door that you can't unlock yourself. Okay, I mean, and that the energy grenade is behind that locked door. Dios mio! I mean, what, what is what are we doing here? What is, what's all this? Like, come on now. What? What? How would you? Okay, so this is like a. a I would assume like a, a secret that's meant to be in this level. Right. Like I, mean, a, I, I think that's exactly right. I think it's just sort of a little secret that they they put in, and you know, unfortunately, with these games. 
with with the less with the more obscure games, you know, I think I think with something like a, a very popular game, this kind of stuff, we would expect there to be like five different game facts sure. laying out every weapon location. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, with these older games uh, or you know more obscure games, you you have to do a lot of this investigation work yourself because I think some po- sometimes when people hear speedrunning investigation, right, they think you're looking for glitches, and that's a part of it. Don't, that, don't get I mean, me wrong. If you find them and they're useful, then right. hell yeah, hell yeah, yeah. But you know, for uh, some games, in a lot of cases, you're just trying to actually just figure out how it works. Intended mechanics, you right? Know, exactly. Just to do the normal, the normal uh, work of discovery in games, uh, and so that was, you know, that was, ba- and it ended up saving me about net twenty or thirty seconds, uh, yeah. depending on why I'm not able to do the the grenade jump on the first try, uh, but. I did set the, uh, I think the, before this, uh, Cube Face, a very good uh, first person shooter speedrunner, who'd been to a bunch of GDQs. Right. He had a, a record of like 44, 55, and he didn't really have competition. He, I mean, he, I think he knows he could have pushed it lower. Uh, and then, but on, on uh, I think it was on Thursday, I was able to get a 44, 27. Nice. I'm probably going to do another night of attempts just because um, I did it like a, a singleton offline practice run. And I think I would like to spend at least, much like I did of Jaboro, spend at least another night or two, just do a full night of attempts just to see if I can get it lower. Um, because there's certainly time to save. The, the run I put together was not by any means a perfect run. So something, I don't mean to jump no, ship please, from this conversation. Please, let's go. But something we... we we probably should have done first is yes. explain that we are we are one host short today. Oh, uh, it's true. <laughs> yeah, um, you might notice that you're only hearing from me, Ignismatics, and uh, PMC was just talking and explaining yeah. his his runs. Uh, uh, our other host, Stephen Hero, is is unfortunately absent. We we lost him over Jaburo, and we're, yeah. now we're journeying there. To right, we're gonna him. go get him soon. Right, exactly. Um, but yeah, no, it's, I'm, I, I think that you're, it's, it's interesting to hear you uh, work through these games, like, so you can say for our audience, like the, the process and how, when you approach these speed games, it really is a matter of like, like, I'm going to do the thing. I'm going to do it like as in the best possible way that other people have found for the community so far. And that's how you find new ways to do the game is that you try what other people have tried and you find like, oh, actually if you if you you know and if instead of pressing this button you don't press this button uh, a man will show you the special weapon that you need right. in order to go and, and i think too oftentimes the things that i try to bring to runs are to make inconsistent things consistent uh that was one of the re- main reasons i was able to so successful at just cause one was because all my contributions weren't really about finding new strats it was about like what if we just did this without an incredible chance for death right exactly yeah uh, to, to find the consistency and right, sort right. of chaos yep yep so do that, you uh when it comes to some of the mech stuff in shogo do you have any do you where do you feel about some of the ways that they are uh engaging with that material like i i, I notice when i watch the runs like the things are, are like sounds like they clearly are using a very specific mech sound like i wouldn't say it's the same Gundam noise, mm-hmm. but I would describe it as a Gundam noise. Yeah, I, I think they really wanted to communicate uh, the sense of of like a sense of power with the mechs. Uh, you're, the explosions are constant. You, you, you know, you could you just walk into cars and they explode. Right. Uh, the weapons are when, when you're in mechs are you know completely over the top. And you know your laser cannons and various types of explosives. Uh, and another funny thing too is one of the recurring enemies in the game has a sort of intended graphical glitch. The mech combat is basically just the scaled up version 
of being on foot. So some things in their game code is just, you know, your mechs are, are people scaled bigger right. in some ways. And they had a graphical glitch for one of the recurring enemies where their weapon is huge. Right. It's it's just it's like in the same way that a mech is bigger than a person, this weapon is bigger than the weapon should appear. Right. And, uh, and you know, and I, I was watching this uh, a history stream of the developers talking about the game, and, and the developer went up to his boss and was like, oh, sorry, you know, that's a glitch. I'll fix that. And the boss is like, no. Now, how dare you? What do you <laughs> Leave mean? it in there. Leave it exactly but, as Like, is. boss, like, this texture is not meant for pixels, this like, polygons this big. He's like, no. I do not It's care. fine. It's, this, this is exactly this right. This is anime. Right. Do it. Yes. <laughs> um... Uh, so I, that was something I think was when I watched it. I, I think is is interesting to note about it is is that it really does feel even that story of what you just explained about the energy grenades is very much of its time for that sort of first person shooter. And when you're on the ground, it really just feels like that. It mm-hmm. feels like Turok or Perfect Dark or Quake or like the, uh, that sort of era. But like late, like it reminds me more of Dark Forces, maybe like Jedi Outcast. Yeah, I, I think you're definitely still, especially being a PC only shooter in yeah. 1998, six weeks before Half Life One, yeah. like specific time period. Yeah, I think you're still having a lot of that DNA because uh, Monolith before making Shogo, I think their previous games had been uh, the Blood Games, which actually just got re released on uh, on GOG. Well, the thing I was going to get to is that I, I think it's interesting how they they choose to in in the gameplay. Uh, 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 emphasize the mechs as basically enlarged versions of that mm-hmm. like this was something that i was i was concerned about when you explained the concept was it, it's really hard to I, I think titanfall figured it out but i think it's really hard in first person to really communicate like the scale and the because really when you're when you're in a video game and you're controlling like let's just say what's supposed to be a normal sized person if you just switch that perspective and told their, the player that they're in a giant robot, it wouldn't need to be effectively different. Mm-hmm, yeah. And and so like there were challenges, I would think, in, in 1998 in how to... And I think that's the, the, the solution they landed on was just like emphasize everything as, as bigger. You know? Yeah, I, I think to emphasize everything about the mechs as being overpowered, when you're you know in a mech, uh, you also you, know, you have the ability to transform. But even when you're just in the normal upright bipedal mode of the mech uh you have a sort of uh, inertia uh and you can jump off higher right you can do all these things so you know it is this sense of superpower right it's, it's definitely not mech warrior you know that's yeah i think that that's the way to do it is is to uh, uh, put the focus on how much stronger the player character becomes in this embodiment you know yeah yeah, I don't, uh, uh, on on the Ignis side of things, uh, it don't really have... <laughs> you don't have another Inuyasha corner for us? I mean, I could. <laughs> I definitely still could, because we're in there. I mean, especially, it was going to come up today. Yeah, yeah, be yeah. Like, it's going to, yeah. because oh, of yeah. what we're talking about right, today. Right, but, right, right. Um, I mean, you know, we're, we're, I'm, we're still moving forward. We're firmly in the point of the show where there isn't really forward momentum anymore. Mm, forward yeah, momentum yeah. is a uh, foreign concept. Uh, uh, which is kind of fine for the purposes that my partner and I are using it for. Like it is very, very effective background noise, uh, comfy in that way. Um, and it's a creative, fun world. You know, it, it's also like it's kind of a trope soup uh, in a way that is useful for someone like me. Like I, I enjoy, you know, categorizing and and you know, uh, finding the fun ways that they often don't 
surprised me with their usage of the tropes. Um, we right now are in a very uh, 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 early 2000s sort of villain arc where there is a group of seven different themed bad guys. This is this is definitely like a a sort of style of storytelling in shonen anime and manga that that. Inuyasha, I, Inuyasha, I would say, wouldn't say like necessarily like 100% fit into the, that that paradigm, but I'm sure someone would pedantically point out which magazine that it was shipped in, and that would be how you decide. Right, right. And I don't know, maybe we should examine that. But in any case, uh, you know, it's it's still fun. Um, uh, something that's interesting, and I, I was going to talk about today was um, Scott McNeil, who uh, of course voices Duo Maxwell. Uh, gives a, a pretty different. He's one of those voice actors who one of the reasons you recognize him is because he kind of has like he's got a kind of Stephen J. Bloom samey voice thing going on, but like it's easier for me to forgive Scott McNeil because of the amount of like character and charisma he he bestows on it. Like not to bring back Beast Wars, the the best piece of fiction ever released. Very good. As, yeah. yeah. No, definitely. As we've previously discussed, but Can't wait, we'll play Beast Wars for PS One. Um, <laughs> boy, I forgot that is a thing, huh? There's like a Beast Wars fighting game too, I think. Um, but Scott McNeil is in that show as Rat Trap, and Rat Trap is and and I think Dinobot, and those are two of the more dynamic, interesting characters on that show. And, you know, I noticed in Inuyasha, he plays Koga, the wolf demon, and he's starting to do more of a thing. He's transitioning into more of his, like, uh, Piccolo voice. I don't know if you know this, but he was Piccolo in the ocean dub. Um, I don't think I ever watched that dub. That's, yeah. that's like the original dub of Dragon Ball, The original right? dub. That's yeah, right. Okay. That's right. And Scott McNeil is Piccolo, and his Piccolo is more growly. He's got more of a growl on his voice. Like and, a Christian Bale Batman? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Well, Christian Bale Batman, I think th- I think the like, sticking point for a lot of people with Christian Bale Batman is that like it's very clearly he's putting on a voice instead of just having a voice. Mm-hmm. And people, I think... I don't think people like that idea that Batman would put on a voice while he's in his Batman persona. I think more people are are like used to because if you think about cinematic Batman, mm-hmm. like Michael Keaton just did a Michael, it was just Michael Keaton voice, okay, right? George Clooney is just doing George Clooney voice. Uh, Val Kilmer is just doing Val Kilmer voice. Yeah, uh, I guess it's funny because I, I I don't know about how you feel about this, but you know I'm like a lot of other people who say the animated series was kind right. of a form of Batman Kevin, experience, and then Kevin Conroy definitely he doesn't do a growly voice necessarily, but he does definitely, definitely does a different voice well, for Batman. Well, this is the thing I was going to say yeah. is that like for me it doesn't necessarily bother me because I see it as the same sort of idea as Clark Kent's. So like Clark, people make fun of Clark Kent for the glasses thing, but like what it really is going on is that his posture is different, his presentation is different. Like this is a real thing when it comes to presentation. Like it, it changes how people perceive you. And I've always I think the Kevin Conroy approach where his 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 Bruce Wayne voice is debonair and yeah. charming and and Batman is serious and measured and and like it's the same voice but the difference is enough where if you were because of the context that you're in your brain doesn't connect those dots that's that's the perfect point you know um and I think that's I I do think that's hard to communicate in sure, visual media absolutely and, and yeah. that's why like like it's fun to make fun of the growly voice like I'm not wearing hockey pads as hockey hilarious. pads yeah exactly yeah. it's very fun to do um but I do think that like in the world that 
Chris Nolan, you know, I should point out, I'm not even the biggest fucking fan of those movies. Like, they're good, but I don't, whatever. Like, I think, though, in the world that he's making, I I think that you couldn't have it just be Christian Bale voice. I I think that the, because he's trying to add versatility, like, it would only work if someone was trying to be intimidating. And, like, maybe it doesn't completely yeah like but i i don't you know uh uh uh, but yes i I, it is similar to that but i think that scott mcneil is trying to differentiate because it's really like previously was just kind of his duo voice and and like it it definitely maybe wasn't the right fit for the character meanwhile sashomaru voiced by trey's kushinata no effort at all to change up that performance and it kind of works it's kind of fine i am responsible for oz's outer space supervision Mm-hmm. And you can call me Lady Un. Speaking of trays, I, I guess this would be the point oh, to, yeah. uh, to can, summon him. You can talk so, about yeah. Due to the loss of our beloved pilot, not permanently, we're going to go rescue him. He's fine. Yeah, we'll get he's him. fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah, he's fine. We we decided to dip our toe back into Gundam Wing uh, to take a break from Pat Labor for a little while. Uh, well, just for this episode, we'll be back with Pat Labor next week. Yep, yep. Uh, uh, and we're gonna dip our toes back into Gundam Wing seventeen, eighteen, and nineteen uh, to peek behind the curtain a little bit. I don't remember how much we talked about this in previous episodes, but we we determined that this would be a good breaking off point for Gundam Wing because the the show is about to change settings almost entirely, and and we'll see it here in these three episodes. And uh, Stephen Hero. Uh, has thoughts about Gundam Wing, which is another mm, contributing factor. True. Well, we'll get into Stephen Hero's yeah, thoughts. We now. definitely will. His, his, he's, he's with us in our hearts and minds, in the hearts of outer space. Uh, so I, I'll go ahead and oh, but you know what? Before we we transition, before we get out of yes. this, Marin, I do want to mention uh, I have my eye on a a, a new mech game. Oh, coming, that's right, that's right. Yeah, uh, coming to the Switch already out on Steam. It turns oh. out Project Nimbus is what it's called. Okay, and Project Nimbus is a uh, 3D mech action game. Mm-hmm. It looks like uh, in the the vein of Zone of the Enders, the combat looks. Ah. It is a speedy 3D action mech game. Uh, I can't tell from the trailer how much customization is in it, but it appears to be they the the specters that they invoke are Ace Combat uh, oh. and Mech Warrior. They specifically okay. name. Yeah, no, totally. Yes, and to me that just says Zone of the Enders. That's that's yeah. when you combine those two. Well, I mean, Mech Warrior though is very, I mean, stuck to the ground and totally methodical yeah. and. I, I, I mean, I would just guess if I was like, I would imagine they just mean literally taking the robot, literally just and, max, yeah, and putting, putting it in it the sky. In, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, yeah. I imagine. I, I know I'd link the trailer. And I, I'm not sure if you had the yeah, chance. I'm not to, got, yeah, catch it. Uh, but it really does look like it's it's eating the lunch of Damon X Machina mm. in an interesting way. I did some research. Do you know who? Yeah, who I was going to say who are the developers? Because it came out of nowhere. Okay. Um, it is a company. It looks like it was an early access game. It mm-hmm. is a company called Game Crafter Team, mm. published by Game. Tomo and Kiss Limited. Uh, yeah, I don't know, but you know, people like it a lot on Steam. Cool. People like it a lot. I'll have I, to check it out. Though. I'm interested. I'll let y'all know. Yeah, I no. I mean, let me know because I think the last time I tried like uh, a random uh, 3D action mech game it was Strike Suit Zero, which was like so so. Yeah, Strike Suit Zero looks a lot better than it plays. Yes, <laughs> that happens a lot with so, these kinds of games. Yeah, that, that's a, a real a real thing. Because I remember I had seen it in a, in a speedrun marathon a few years ago, and I was like, oh, I could play this for fun. And then it was like, nope. I wonder if the Ace Combat thing is more to invoke the narrative thing. Because I know Ace uh-uh. Combat people 
really have a deep love of the sort of AU that Ace Combat presents. Um, I, I like, I, this is like a guess, but I, I like, I picture Rob Zachney really yeah. being into Ace Combat. I mean, look, like I'm going to be honest here. The only thing I, re- I, I recently was playing around with, uh, Air Combat, which is the first Ace Combat game on PS1. Oh. Very rudimentary. I watched the speed run of it. It's kind of funny. Not too much in the way of m- lore going on at that point, but the, uh, all I can think about is that dog. Like <laughs> JPEG dog? Yeah, JPEG dog. JPEG dog is the best. Yeah, I encourage everyone to look up JPEG yeah. dog. Just Google Ace Combat JPEG dog. Ace, Ace Combat it. JPEG dog. So, but, yeah, uh, let's let's escape from the skies and, and uh, enter into space. Yeah, let's get into an extremely one-sided battle, which is my favorite thing to do in Gundam Wing. <laughs> I mean, oh, there's a lot of that in these three episodes. Yeah, it's like, I think we've said it before, uh... You, we mentioned how going from previous episodes to this stretch of episodes that this stretch has a lot of uh, transition points that are going to change some things. Some things are not going to change. And I think one of the things that doesn't change in these episodes is that the on-foot espionage stuff remains much more interesting yeah. than the mech combat right now. Yeah, right now. Except for Tall Geese. And we'll talk about that. Yeah, Tall Geese is pretty cool. Um, so before before I jump into the summaries, which I have prepared for us oh, for these three right. episodes, that's 17, right. 18, and 19, do you want to sort of touch on the, the your reactions to uh, returning to Gundam Wing after after a break? Like This is a, a series of episodes that you and I happened to be prepared for before we decided mm-hmm. to change our schedule. Yeah. Um, so I know that you had these in your mind for a sure. while. So yeah. did I. Um, is there anything you, you found interesting or anything new you, you observed upon returning to it, really? I think ha- the experience of going to uh, both a modern work and then uh, a, you know, an older classic mech work like Pat Labor and coming back to this one, one for which I have nostalgia, but I'm also discovering along the way is different necessarily than I experienced it as a child. Right. Uh, I think it's, for one thing... The fact that I feel still so warmly towards Gundam Wing definitely uh, puts a point on the power of nostalgia. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but the other thing is, is that we, I've been talking a lot about my, my speedrunning adventures. Yeah. And, and some of these speedrunning games that I've talked about, like Jabora, are games that I have nostalgia for. Uh, but some of them are games that I've never played before, like Shogo. And I also think that, to some extent, there's a look to Gundam Wing... Uh, and a and a sort of um, frantic pace, a sort of hysteria, yeah, to Gundam yeah. Wing that is very palatable to me, and so it's kind of in the same way that like my love of 3D jank action is maybe not the most popular thing on the black on the on the block. My my love of the hysteria of Gundam Wing doesn't make sense but it's there and it's what i have well i think i think it's it's a really good point to bring up though because what you're experiencing is is kind of the the thing i talk about when i talk about um how experiencing a work in the way that it is is meant to be delivered kind of delivers more than just the plot right because what you're describing is like the because the plot for gundam wing as we'll get into sucks but the 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 mood of it the the delivery of it the construction of it the aesthetics of it like it it combines into this experience that isn't binary it's not like hot or cold in a way that is like much easier for us to forgive in an interesting way like it's so apolitical because of how stupid it is that it's much easier to forgive 
the nonsense it engages with than pat labor, which we had a hard time. Right. Last yeah. Week. Certainly, our last discussion was all about you know police politics and and eco politics and all these things, and we don't we don't really have those here. And of course, that's also because I think such a such a major part of like almost any Gundam series, or at least the UC Gundam series, and this one additionally is that so much of it is about something that we can't relate to or fathom, which is the whole space versus Earth politics. Right. Well, which makes it easy, to, again, to, to just not worry about. Right. I think that's a good big part of it. I think, for me, that's the big thing I'm discovering, is that, like, I, I think if you asked me before Pat Labor, like, would you could you create a show that it only, is predicated on ignoring the context in which it exists and have it work? I would have said yes. I would have said you could do, like... Like something like the Orville is attempting to do with, with Star Trek, where it's it's an, a comedy show, um, but it's working in a context where you have to ignore a whole lot of stuff in order for the humor to work, right? And that's pat labor, right? Like you you in order for it to work, you you have to ignore the context in which it exists, and that was easy to do in the eighties. It was easier to do, I think. In general, I'm not saying for everybody. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. there are people who watch pat labor and they were like had the same ideas that we had, probably. Uh, but in any case, uh, there's enough chit-chat, I think. We should get into these three episodes. Let's start with episode 17, Betrayed by Home Far Away. That's the next Spider-Man movie, right? That's right. Betrayed yeah. by Home Far Away. Mm. <laughs> I don't want to... I don't know if this is a spoiler is the thing, but you, you've invoked it, and I just kind of want to get it out since we're talking about just our interests. Are we like, are we all playing pretend with Mysterio? Is that what's happening? <laughs> like, ours a culture, or we're all like, listen, I know that not everybody knows comic book things. And Mysterio is for sure, as like Spider-Man villains go, definitely one of the more, like, you probably would have to have engaged with the Spider-Man thing in some method in order to know who Mysterio, like the, the TV show, or you've picked up a comic book, or you're related to someone who's super into Spider-Man. But like, he, mm, Maybe I shouldn't because it's spoilers, you know? Yeah, like, you know, let, yeah, we better just... Uh, yeah, maybe that's enough. But in yeah. any case, let's talk about Gun Wing. Let's talk about mech shows. <laughs> um, betrayed by home far away. Uh, we rejoin our heroes by rejoining our villains who are consolidating their powers in space. Oz are taking back areas under control of the remaining Alliance forces and put on their best face. The goal is to win over naive bureaucrats and mostly it works perfectly thanks to a dreamlike diplomatic rebranded Lady Un. Duo and Catra are able to witness this from their incredible Airbnb and decide that if Oz is taking the battle to space, they will have to follow. Duo and Catra, in a shocking twist, actually have a hard time against the forces of the Oz base. And while their attack is publicized as they planned, it leads to the colonies denouncing the Gundams. Resolved to continue the battles against Oz and joined by other pilots, Catra and Duo are able to escape thanks to the sacrifice of Sandrock. Meanwhile, Lady Un captures the science creeps. Tell Geese Destroyed, Episode 18. With the science creeps captured, Lady Un intends to exploit their creepitude for the purposes of Oz. Meanwhile, Zex is resigned to court-martial due to his actions with regard to the dopey Gundam kids. Trace is, at first, confident that Zex will survive any court-martial thanks to his high standing with the Richie Riches. But Zex shares that he's not sure he can fight on behalf of awful people anymore. Trace doesn't hold it against him, but still suggests he dies in battle on behalf of Oz in order to become a martyr. Meanwhile, Alliance forces in space discover Catra floating helplessly, which of course attracts the attention of Oz mobile dolls. Speaking of which, they show, they show a demonstration of the concept of mobile dolls, and Trace gives us our ethical viewpoint that mobile dolls reduce the human dignity of bloodshed. Thanks to the actions of the mustache alliance man, Catra is saved. Meanwhile, quote-unquote Zex Marquis, quote-unquote, dies in battle with the Alliance. 
And that leads us to episode 19, Assault on Barge. Assault on uh, PMC and Ignis's psyche. Uh, Miliardo Peacecraft is surprised to find that he is, in fact, alive, saved by the Cinnabar Island gym leader, Blaine. Blaine explains that he is actually a secret science creep and encourages Miliardo to join the conflict in space. Meanwhile, the narrator explains to us what we understood from the previous two episodes. Oz is putting on a good face in order to cozy up to the space colonies. A new wrinkle is added. Lady Un isn't putting up a front. She has apparently created a whole separate personality. She is informed that they have captured a Gundam pilot, and they plan to execute him in order to unite the colony's feelings towards Oz and against the Gundams. Of course, it is Duo, the one precious boy with a personality. Hero assaults Barge, lol, in order to make sure Duo is killed before that can happen, but decides in the last moment, or so he professes, to save him instead. During the escape, Wufei arrives in order to add another element of chaos to the affair. The fighters in space are unable to react in time due to Lady Un being in diplomat mode and unable to switch off. Wufei escapes, the weaknesses of the mobile dolls are exposed, and Hero vows to assassinate the science creeps. Which brings us to the end of this stretch of episodes. And, uh, <sighs> yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, uh, put me coast to coast because I'm a space ghost now. <laughs> I am a, uh, these yeah. three episodes are, it has been very difficult to keep these inside my mind for the stretch of time we've had to wait to talk about them because really, this is some off the wall shit. So, like so I can't hold seventeen and nineteen in my mind at the same time. It's hard. It really, it's really is. hard. It's really hard. Seventeen, in a lot of ways, kind of is like the last Earth episode. Yeah, like definitely, it, it, it feels the most like the show we had been watching previously. Eighteen and nineteen have a distinct, like eighteen especially the way it chooses to end, like really has a, a distinct feel to it. Yeah, we'll get there. Um, so uh, we start off. Uh, 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 yeah, that's right. I, after some space from the show, I appreciate it sending me directly into the grave with the colonies line. Because the first thing that happens is we, we get shown that shot of Zach, Zach saying glory to the colonies. And I'm just like, fuck's sake. That's right. That's the show yep. I'm watching. Da, 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 da. We, yeah, exactly. We also got um, our the one of the best. Really, I'm missing Relina in these three episodes. Like, yeah. really like No, I, I think... In like my main character race, uh, these three episodes are a big argument for Zex being the main character. Even though Zex doesn't necessarily get a lot of screen time, we're still checking on in on him, and he is still making you know big. He has big character moments in these episodes. I think. Yeah, it's interesting. They it really it, like if you talk about what has changed in in these three episodes. Like you know, in a lot of ways, the Gundam pilot situation hasn't changed because they were always. All, forever on their own right and and now it's just kind of like the stage of conflict that has changed for them meanwhile like zex has completely by the end of these three episodes he has or are really i would say miliardo I, and i'll get into that when we talk about that whole bit in episode 18 uh miliardo has has no alliances he has no loyalties he has no real purpose yet he's just kind of being like we'll talk about it but blaine kind of just suits him up and sh- pats yeah, his butt and yeah. shoots him into space you're, you're just you're too talented to die you yeah, gotta go you gotta I'm go sorry. to space motherfucker yeah. um you know which space is the place i understand space is the place that's right um i do really uh just talking about this fight scene the one nice part of this the one-sided battles of no tension which is hard to draw you in but I do really like the shot of the Leo against the moon as he blows up. Yeah. It's nice. I like that. Yeah, it's good imagery. I always like th- seeing things against the moon. It's yeah. cool. No, I agree. I think that silhouetting is is a stark image. And, yeah. And, you know, I it, we're going to see a lot of the, the purple uh, space Leos, the, the ground mobile suit, except they're in space. 
uh, getting trounced by the Ford Tauruses. The Ford Tauruses are very powerful in space. Uh, the show definitely wants us to find the mobile dolls threatening multiple times. And at least once in all three of these episodes, it'll show us a shot of the pilot seat without a pilot and all the lights blinking and things moving on their own. There's a very clear agenda there uh, to make you feel like uneasy with the mobile dolls. I think that's a pretty straightforward. I think it's also really interesting that, I mean, the idea of, of like, robots and artificial intelligence being threatening isn't necessarily a new idea i mean you have plenty of that stuff uh, in science fiction uh but i definitely think watching it from 2019 the there's a a new sense of automation being uh you know the fearful thing i think it you know it adds an additional layer of fear on top of the other layers of fear no i i agree that there in in our current context it definitely feels different i a little bit later because we'll we'll get to a pot element right. re- regarding to the ai yeah um i'm gonna talk about dota 2 uh oh, but yeah okay. we'll get there um yeah you you've probably open ai you're probably yeah yeah, 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 yeah i'm yeah. gonna talk about that a little bit cool, later cool in order to talk about the uh mobile dolls do you want to talk about our our introduction to the rebranded lady on uh yeah, well, I guess we gotta. Um, yeah. I guess we gotta. So um, let's talk about Lady on the character as a whole. Sure. Right. Yeah. So, so she's introduced to us, and I would say if you're someone who is savvy, who is familiar with storytelling tropes, this 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 sort of character is pretty familiar. Yeah. The the, the hyper like uh uh, uh hyper involved second in command or the the uh, uh underling sort of who is very dedicated to whoever they're serving i think like the most straightforward american cultural artifact that demonstrates this would probably be uh uh mr burns and uh uh uh, uh, uh oh shit i don't actually watch the simpsons so i don't know character names S- no, that's Principal Skinner. I also went Skinner, but that's not the right character. Smithers. Smithers, that's right. There Smithers. you go. We got it. We're, yeah, we're in there. We're pop culture that's aficionados. Right. That's right. We know things. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> there are so many people who listen to this podcast who I know are going to be furious with me. But yeah, Mr. Burns and Smithers is like a comedy version of this. Yeah. Like, Lady Owen is very much like a comedy Smithers uh, or a, a not comedy Smithers. Um, and also a comedy for yeah. actually. <laughs> well, I mean, I think um, the... But, like, Frodo yeah. and Sam is kind of, like, the, mm. the flip of this, where right. you have, like, the dedicated officer for, you know, that, that World War One sort of British military trope is very much in, embedded in that storytelling. Um, um, but Lady Un was always sort of, I, in my opinion, and maybe your read was different, um, but I think you'll agree with me, was always painted as, like, Involved, but a little bit incompetent, and and mostly in the grounds of like being overzealous. Yeah, I, I think that numerous times in the show, her plans are beyond the pale. That, and then she is she's chastised for this by trays, but never actually punished with any sort of demotion or other you know a punishment. I think it's fair to say that as far as we're shown, she has never like learned a lesson. Right, it, it, and like even in these three episodes, when we see her in the in the Lady Un mode that we are familiar with, War Un, yeah, War I, Un. I, I took notes as War Un and Peace Un. Yeah, War and Peace Un. That's fair. Uh, when we see her as War Un, like we can see that she hasn't 
really effectively changed her approach. Like she's shock and awe, overzealous. Like zealotry is what I would the word I would use to describe her. And I think that this is this character change because because that's what it is. Like, do we feel because in when I'm rewatching it and knowing what happens by the end of episode 19 in episode 17, we're not shown that she has any difficulty switching between these things. Well, so I think that's what, this is what I was going to say okay. was that, um, I think that if you look at 17, 18 and 19 as a unit, what you're shown is her arc of like episode 17. It's a front. It is the face she has to put on. It is the thing I think that Trey's was trying to get her to figure out in Moscow. Right? She was. He was like, "Go to Moscow, figure out how to, uh, you know, hoity-toity with the richy riches, because that's what I'm going to need you to do. I'm going to need you to go to space and trick the st- stupid bureaucrats, the naive bureaucrats." I think there's also a a. I think there's a level of sexism here going on a little bit where uh, I think there is uh, in the scene where we see Lady Un, where we see Peace Un talking to um, not the naive, I'll call him the main naive period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there is an exchange where they talk about how young he is. Um, and uh, looking at the script, I, I think this is supposed to be a little bit more like, there's a lot of formality when it comes to uh, uh, in Japanese scripts when it comes to anime, like something that's that we should be very very clear about when it comes to uh, the type of writing that happens in anime is, is that like, and like this kind of goes without saying, but I'm not sure if everyone like internalizes this, but like people in anime don't talk like Japanese people. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think that goes without saying, right? That but like you could say the same thing obviously about any media right right you if you have a specific dramatic mode or comedy mode or whatever it's not necessarily going to be i mean hot fuzz does not represent how british people talk but i think the difference is that there is a structure that is used Mm -hmm. a a more formalized even for characters who are speaking in mode that's why you have characters who fit into boxes more cleanly is because that they have a, a structure with which they communicate the story or their character beats or whatever and I think in this moment, this bit where they're talking about how he's youthful and how he f- tries to reframe it as like, don't you think it represents my go-getter attitude? Like it's it's very like American CEO bullshit. Um, and in the moment where that you know we we're leading into, we want to talk about is the moment where Peace Un takes his glasses, right? And in this moment, I think we're not. I think the audience isn't supposed to be positive about who it is we're dealing yeah, with. Yeah, that's something I also noted as well is uh, that I do I do think to some extent the show is trying to uh, fake us out a little bit. Like, is this really? Um, well, I, I I'm not even sure. Like, I think they're 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 pr- presenting it that way, and yeah. I'm not even sure they're super invested in if the audience buys it or not. I think that this is supposed to be this reveal, and it's and it's flirty. Right, it's oh, definitely incredible. Yeah, like it's definitely like him, her taking the glasses and putting it up there is for the sake of the audience. Hey, hey, Ignis. Yes, you once told us the ages of a bunch of characters in this show. Oh, did you ever look up how old Lady On is? Um, I'm sure I did, but I, I might have <laughs> hidden that knowledge away in a deep dark place where I, I wouldn't need to confront it. I mean, I have to imagine she's like 19, 18 or nineteen would be my guess. Right, and, and even then, I'm only I would only share that guess because we know 
trays is supposed to be 24. Right, right. Well, see, that's an aspect of it too, though. Yeah. Right? For yeah. sure to talk about. And, and like, I'm not, I, I want to stress that, that I'm not harping on this, like, this is what women are good for politically. And like, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that the the way that Oz is approaching the situation is is a cynical one. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Like the audience is meant to pick that up, and and the people, the naive bureaucrats, are meant to miss that. Yeah. Right? No, no. Like, I, I do think this is this is a charm offensive. It's resting on these cynical attitudes, right? And and, and it it's works it's like an effective bad guy thing. Well, so something know? that's that's you know uh, like it's not the sort of thing the show is concerned about but like one of the notes that I took was that that Lady Un's like military record is not uh, like people don't know. Like they, they, it's referred to as rumor in the naive bureaucrat meeting that we see later in this episode. Um, where the honorary advisor shows this up to be ignored. truly most annoying. Yeah, I fucking love that guy. <laughs> uh, what I especially love about that guy is that um, it's it's General Septum trying to be, like, subdued a little bit. Like, it's it's definitely still him, but he's doing kind of this voice. This is truly most annoying. I can't believe how dumb y'all. I mean, you know, uh, it's, it's the sort of thing we'll see emphasized more in 19, where we'll see Hero uh, looking up information about the... Hero Yui assassination, not Hero Yui, our main character. Hero Yui, the the peace figure that Hero Yui is named after, because this show is not contrived or confusing in any case. Um, and this is not like the the way that this sh- show has managed to simplify its setting, but like like multiply the complexity of its story by like. You know, I, I gotta say, there was there's a really important detail to the setting that's actually finally communicated to us in this episode, which I don't think I had fully uh, grasped or appreciated before. Oh, is this the colonies communication thing? Yeah, yeah, that's huge. I agree. That's huge. I because I think before one of the things I had um, before we're told that the alliance is oppressing the colonies, but the Gundams are still built in secret and right. launched to Earth. And so the thing that I think, you know, I had trouble dealing with, and, and, and you know, it's one of those things that we talk about where you, you can nitpick any plot into oblivion. Of course. And so I wasn't going to sit here and be like, well, why didn't the Gundam designers all talk to right. each other? That's something we definitely even um, did mention, but were yeah, able to. Right. Like, we're like, like it's whatever. It's fine. Because we could have guessed something like this, right, right? right? This sort of, oh, communication was controlled by the oppressive government pretty common thing right right you know uh but just to sort of to heart really harp on it now and to even given it this uh not only the communication channels but also the physical presence of space mines right right is <laughs> yeah. you know to really really hammer the point home that we have separated these colonies uh you know Come on, narrator. I know you're not reliable. I know we can't trust this no, narrator. No, we can't trust this guy at all. But, like, that would have been useful. That's good information. It would have been... I think, it, like, for example, one of the things that I really want to never see again in the show is we have no context or no relevance for this footage of the shuttle getting blown up as it leaves the colony. Yeah. And we keep seeing it. And imagine if instead of seeing that show... We just saw guards uh, at the space wall mine being like, ah, yes, we have separated the colonies and oppressed them. Right. Way better shot, communicates a lot of great visual information. And, like, you know, I think it just helps to helps us to understand the oppression more than, like, yeah, we shot some dudes in a shuttle. On that note, also, like, something that's tough now is that, like, very suddenly the show is, like, concerned about the, the perspective of the space colonies and what they think about this sort of stuff. But, like... I want to 
Like, and like, it's very possible. It's a kind of a big deal that they, that we're specifically on colony D and I should have gone back and checked, but like lady Un very not secretly assassinated a space colony ambassador man, Relina's father. Uh, and like, I, and I get that Oz is like covering their shit up and stuff like that. But like throughout the show, we are not seeing like how they react to, for example, the Gundam pilots killing uh, Sylvia, not Sylvia Noventa, Admiral Noventa, Sylvia Noventa, yeah, Sylvia Noventa, uh, grandfather. Like, like, so, like, we don't get to see them going like, yes, take that, Alliance oppressors. Do you know what I mean? Like, we don't get to, we didn't get to see. So now we're set up perfectly for these three episodes where we see them like, like, ah, oh, fuck the Gundam pilot. Like, obviously they did tell us that it was a small group of people. Yeah. Behind the no, Gundams. I mean, the only glimpses we got into that were the scenes with, uh, Mr. Mr. Dorlin, Mr. Darlian, where he said like, no, 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 no. The Gundam pilots do not represent the colony. He's like, please like chill out. But then of course, you know, he's, he's, uh, yeah, he's murdered by a compact. Like, yeah, the, the make <laughs> four or compact. five episodes in. Yeah, so you know we, we we've had a lot of episodes since then, and we've forgotten that for the most part. Right. Well, that's kind of like I don't mean to like stop us in our tracks and and make us revisit all the 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 points that make this turn like difficult to swallow, but it really is like predicated on like the space colonies having no reaction to the actions of the Gundam pilots at all, and it makes the. Like, I don't know how much the storytellers really wanted you to think about this because it makes the, the motivations of the Gundam pilots at all very difficult to follow, right? Like, Katra, not so much because Katra is such an idealist, you know, um, but Dio is very cynical. Do you want to talk about their beautiful Airbnb? Yeah, you know, little, I, would, little... I would love to know where they got that. Uh, so, you, you know, know, was the host good? That, uh, not to date us right now for the <laughs> podcast reporting, but like... Uh, it is it is a, a very nice sort of warm weekend here where we're at, and it's put me in the mood for the beach. And I was like, mm, yes, this seems like this seems like a very good solution to that sort of problem. There, nice sun, a pool. They're clearly it's the sort of thing that like, how do I put this? I'm not sure. Like we're joking right now about the Airbnb thing, but I'm not actually sure what conclusion we're meant to take away from it. <laughs> like, I, I think for me, I mean, my conclusion is that you know that it was some network connection of, of Katra yeah, because be. Katra so far is the only person on the show who's known to work with people on earth. Yeah. It seems like it. So I think that's the conclusion that we draw is just that because whenever we see Katra anywhere, he is always, you know, situated in a position of wealth, you know, with a cabinet of musical instruments nearby. Right. Well, so the reason I bring it up at all is because, you know, and I guess I don't, this might be a shock to hear, but <gasps> Gundam wing is a piece of fiction. Um, and, uh, <laughs> it's not anime. It's really real. Yeah. Okay? It's real life. Um, and so like they could have chosen to put them anywhere, right? They could have been in like an alleyway or like an underground basement, but like they're in like a beautiful bungalow. Like they're in like a, 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 a sweet, it looks like a, like a very, very, very nice part of, of a, an American coast, uh, like a shore hotel. Or yeah. Like yeah. That. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I just wonder why. Like it, it's it's one of those things that obviously we're not even here for very long. It's just something that stuck out to me as a choice. Like why this location? Like what is what does it tell us about Catra and Duo? Um, I know Duo likes to be comfortable for sure. Uh, so yeah, space mines. That's a creepy, terrifying idea to think about. 
Uh, let's see. It seems like they're trying to imply in some scenes with the space creeps that the space creeps don't... Because the one that we're with in this episode is the Death Scythe space creep. I ref- my notes refer to him as Hair Shroom Man. Hair Shroom Man is fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, most of them... I actually feel bad about the space creeps because the space creeps are all given explicit sort of like interesting facial features of some kind. Except for one who's just bald. Yeah, he's just Mr. Clean. Just tall and bald. Yeah. You know, that's not I mean, really... hey, you know? I mean, well, because the reason I bring it up is because, like, okay, so we've got Dr. J, um, lead space creep, with his uh, cigarette claw hand and, uh, you know, just general space creep BS. Um, and we have um, Hersher Man, who's got kind of a um, Osama Tezuka-style design going on with his very, very long nose right. and Hersher hair. Um, we have... Um, I've taken to call him Please No, um, who is uh, the pencil-thin mustache guy yeah. who's always got the worst look on his face. It's mostly just that look on his face. Like, I, I don't I don't know how to describe it other than, like, he's been brought something that he knows he shouldn't have but pleases him greatly. Like, it's an awful look. And then there's Nose Man. Uh, and then Mr. Clean, as you've described. Right, right. And all of them have a, like, you know, there's Please No, Nose Man, Hair Shroom Man, uh, Dr. J. And then there's just, he's just tall and bald. You know, he actually has, I, I, in episode 18, something interesting I want to talk about, something that he says. Because it's one of those lines that in Gundam Wing just seems like, uh, oh, it's another one of Gundam Wing's lines where someone says a sentence and it said, like, it made sense. But, of course, it did not. Um, but yeah, though, it's interesting because they sort of like in this moment, it kind of sounds like he doesn't really have an ethical or moral reason to create the Gundam and send it to earth as much as it was like some Oz did something and now I'm going to go to earth. I'm going to make a mech and send it to Oz because fuck him. Rather than like, and I think that's interesting. It sort of fits with, I mean, later we'll see that's not true. Dr. J definitely implies that there's a sort of like long-term sort of like 3D chess that they're playing mm, here. Yeah, yeah. That's what the, that we, we imply at the end of episode 18 with the, hey, ah, so that, 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 <laughs> that, that scene. Um, let's see. Uh, so now we cut to uh, the Gundams, uh, Sandrock and Death Scythe. Uh, making an assault on the Oz base. And for the first time ever... Just for no reason, they just start having trouble? Yeah, they're having a lot of trouble. You know, and they don't even give us a number, right? Like, Not there, really. There could be, you know, several dozen, maybe 50, yeah. 70. And I don't really know. They don't it's really not tell number. us. Yeah, it's just, un- just a lot of suits, and I guess they're having difficulty. And, like, the thing that's rough about it, for sure, is that, like, it- it's not like we're seeing... Uh, pieces of the Gundams being blown off or, like, the armor starting to crack. Like, they just sort of fall over. Yeah. They, they fall over a lot, and it's like, and They have okay. trouble getting back up, you know. Um, uh, so this battle progresses, and this is where uh, it, we talk about in the summary that, that, you know, the plan was to publicize this battle to sort of uh, yeah. put the other Gundam pilots into the same Yeah, we got, we got to go to space. Yeah, Space go, is the place. Space is the place. We got to go. Um, and it kind of works. It, it works like they plan. They definitely manage to get the attention of the other two or the three pilots. Like, this whole episode is constructed in an interesting way because it really, like, it treats the Gundam pilots as interchangeable as far as main character status goes. Like, it, it, it you would think that it would be Hero doing this, um, but because of the way 
they the the characters broke down and how they ended up in pairs with each other we we have Katra and Duo who are doing this and like we don't really have as much investment in either of these two boys like they as far as like you know the story of the show goes uh, but anyway, the other boys do. Yeah, show up. and then Wu Fei and his warrior morality shows up and says, "Yeah, we are doing the right thing." Wu Fei knows all about how to do <laughs> the right thing. Wu Fei's Wu Fei's speech here was the perfect like sort of reintroduction to Wu Fei because I was like, "Oh yeah, he's miserable. He's a miserable shit. I hate this character." And then and then Troa, who has a heart, says. I'm sensing peace in our five in our hearts. Five hearts. I, I said. I said peace in a fi- in our five hearts is it like a good. Uh, 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 sort of like nonsense Troa word. Like I, I definitely, I, I admired that moment where I was like, <laughs> "Well, thank you, show, for reintroducing us to these characters perfectly." Somehow, the creators of episode seventeen knew that uh, uh, three dipshits with a podcast would yeah, sit down yeah. to watch it, and this would be the point where they're reintroduced to the so, show. As we get to the end of this episode, there's a sequence where the, you know, even though they, they are able to move and get into the shuttles, continuing forces attack and, uh, and Sandrock and Katra move into position to, uh, guard the other, uh, escaping Gundams. That's right. And Katra plans to, uh, blow himself up. And then, uh, as sometimes happens, uh, uh, you know, your, your powerful weapon sort of says like, no, let me take this one for you. I got, I got this one, put me in coach. And, and Sandrock starts uh, walking forward, uh, getting ready to, to self-destruct as Catra then escapes on a shuttle. The, n- normally I would just sort of accept this as a normal mech trope sort of moment that you yeah. have in shows. I think we've discussed this trope yeah. before. Is there any special significance attached to the fact that this trope occurs in the same episode in which we are introduced to the mobile dolls? Yes, because here's the thing that that it is making clear for us that Gundams and mobile suits, as we understand them until this point, did not I did not work with an AI pilot. Right? There is there are probably I would guess if I was forced to be one of those tedious people who needs like sci-fi technology to have like logical explanations for them my prediction is that probably there are like smaller ais that run different aspects of the mobile suits like i imagine there are complicated Mm -hmm. mixes of things but like i'm referring specifically here to a pilot so there isn't any mechanical explanation for what's happening here because there isn't a, a a program or an icon that that Catra clicked on his mobile suit desktop that was like Sandrock sacrifices itself for me or Sandrock will walk will per- specifically protect me with its shield and then walk forward a couple times in a heroic fashion and then blow up like that's not a like I, I can imagine that there's like limited autopilot that you can put on right like I can imagine there is even like you could probably like cue behaviors, you know, like I can imagine there's a way of doing that, but I don't think that to me is like getting so like putting the magnifying glass up so much to the like quote unquote reality of the situation that you're missing the forest for the trees in the moment there. So I think it is astute to point out Mm -hmm. that this is happening in the episode with the mobile dolls, because it is clearly the, you know, for lack of a better word. And the show doesn't care to like, examine this that's not what this show is about this is just the truth of this moment 
Um, if you listen to our uh, Endgame podcast, there's a similar sort of moment that happens with another character where it's the truth of that moment and maybe that's more important than the plot making sense. Right. Um, and and so this is a common... this So this is, I think, the idea that, that mechs are kind of predicated on, which is that there are a... There is a belief in Shintoism that, that uh, objects contain a spirit, right? Like a sort of sense of being, mm-hmm. a, a sort of reflection in our... Anyway, um, th- this, I think, is a sort of evolution of that idea that, that if, you, if, you, if your relationship with something is strong enough, if your bond with it is strong enough that that in there is a spirit inside of it that is embodied and like i think it's fair to say that of our five gundam pilots katra is the one who would definitely be the most in tune with that he could hear the soul of outer space yep and and there's almost i i would he- i hesitate to put too much emphasis on this but i i feel like there's almost a sort of kinship between mobile suits mobile suit pilots and space. Mm. There's a logic to that in Gundam, I think. I think there is a there's a reason why mobile suits on the ground tend to look a specific way. Like mobile suits that are meant to be on the ground. Yeah. Like there's de- they are definitely like a sort of lower class of being in the like existence of of mecha in Gundam anyway than like mobile suits meant for space combat or developed in space. Like, you know, um, something I was going to touch on with the Taurus is that they have like a, a travel mode, like our wing Gundam has a travel mode and there is a sort of, um, codifying that's happening there where that's invoking the original RX seven, eight G has, you know, like people don't really remember, but it it's, it's consists of like three parts where yeah, it it's modular. That's right. Right. It, there's like a jet, like like travel form fighter, and, yeah. and it c- combines with the two other ports to actually create the Gundam because that's how mechs worked back then. Absolutely, to have yeah, something no, like that. no, definitely. Um, and I think when you do that to a mobile suit, it 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 creates a sort of elevated context to it. Like I, I think about the um, uh, the Psycho Gundam and how it has that um, hilarious. Uh, floating around in feudal position sort of mobile fortress mode that it has like like think about it it's totally like flying around in like a sort of crouched position um there were weeks of my life where i thought austin walker talking about sicko mode was just the zeta gundam reference (laughs) oh because they do say it like that huh well yeah it's like they say psycho mode i was like oh it's just like a joke like you went totally sicko mode in your in your gundam Folks, sicko mode is not a Gundam thing. It's it's a song. I yeah, think that's yeah, a different thing. That's yeah, a different yeah, yeah. thing. No, not a different. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure some of the re- jokes were references. You know, putting the two together for Austin, of course. Sure, but, sure, sure. Uh, but for me, who n- was not aware of, uh, you know, recent uh, hip hop music, um, didn't know about it. No, <laughs> yeah, no, that happens to me a lot. But um, the point I was getting to is that the Tauruses, there's an emphasis on that because yeah. they can transform. Yep. Um, but yeah, that kind of puts us at the end of this episode. Right. right? Yep. Yep. Our scientists actually finally meet up together, and they're all space creepy. Oh, we didn't talk about it, but Doctor J was resisting being captured, yeah. and he kind of has a dope scene where he totally owns uh, a couple of uh, Oz creeps uh, with a. It looks like he has an extra f- finger of God laser, something that he, like that. that he kept yeah. In there. Yeah. I do like how he's just chilling in a spacesuit. There's. It's very. Um, 
there's something very hard sci-fi about the 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 like image of uh, a person in a spacesuit standing like on a space station. There's something very loaded and like it's, it's it's like the vulnerability of humanity against the crushing void of space and you know the sort of ethereal like it's so easy for him to knock be knocked off and float into the yeah. endless abyss. Like it's a strong image. Uh, but yeah, he reunites with the other science creeps, and there's a clear sort of like they have like a secret handshake that I appreciated. Um, and we should talk about because we didn't really with um, uh, Hersher Man. The, the, like we did mention the revelation that there was a no travel communication allowed between the colonies, which is why the Gundams are weren't like aware of each other. Um, but I think it's also interesting to think about how. The idea that they they developed the the blueprints for the Talkies for some reason pushed were pushed out of Oz or escaped Oz, um, and all of them took that like core idea and put their own stank on it a little bit. Um, and I, it's interesting. I wish we'd learned more about these guys. I, in my memory, I don't remember getting into these guys too deeply because I'd be curious as to why they chose like what are essentially the equivalent of like comic book superhero designs for these mechs. Um, I mean, I know we know we know why we know why, but yeah. but I mean, why these characters did? Exactly, like, I'm yeah. more interested in that. Youngsters always want to think things out rationally, but war itself is anything but rational. Um, so yeah, let's get to uh, episode 18, which is Toggy's destroyed with facts and logic. Oh my god! Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Please. Uh, uh, yeah, the, the you know we discuss here it, these science creeps are basically responsible for the existence of mobile suits in in general. Like it, that's something that you know, as the 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 creators of the tall geese, the tall geese we've established was the the model for the Leo's the ground mobile suits, and I imagine just uh, uh, you know all mobile suits moving forward. Uh, uh, I totally forgot about that. What the, what Le- the Leo the ground mobile suit? Yeah, Leo the ground mobile suit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. Which sucks because we we are seeing a lot of Leos in the yeah. stretch of episodes, but they're not on the ground, right? Um, which is an, an important Gundam point. We, we'll, what we'll get right. to. We do get another deeply inappropriate use of the gallant fanfare again, where we get to hear heroic music for Lady Un talking yeah, about what? making a powerful weapon. Yeah, she and like I don't know if I follow her logic because she's like it wouldn't be the most powerful unless everyone agreed, and I'm like, what? What? So, what do you? So <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand how that works. I mean, like, yes, I agree that if everyone agrees to a topic. Then there's consensus, <laughs> but that's all, right? Like I don't know. Uh, but the what, so we also see Zex is is delivered to a battleship with uh, a, a pro Zex Union member on it. Uh, he tells the pistol guys who are escorting him in to stand down, and there's a really pregnant pause <laughs> where they're like really shook at the idea of just letting Zex go here. And like I think it's just an animation thing. I, I think it was just like a very clear moment in the script and when they were animating it, it was just like, I don't know. It's that thing, right? And, and like you've been doing editing, so you're you you're probably getting more familiar with this where like you're you, when you're like engaging with or watching something or reading something, you, you're not necessarily thinking about like, oh it took me half a second or a second for this thing to happen. But when you're editing, like you, you see how much can happen in half a second or even a quarter of a second. And you're just like, Oh yeah, this needs to go down by like, like 
point two or point yeah, three and right. that'll get it and right. this is like that like maybe like point five too long you know <laughs> um uh and so here uh zex contacts trays and uh, like this is a very stupid conversation hey agnes uh, yes can you do me a big favor yes yes and tell me which of Trey's lines are actually spoken in the conversation, and are there any lines that are just it's, monologue to no one? It's this again. It <laughs> happened again. So I will say before I answer yeah. your question, there was a hot second where I thought you were about to ask me to die for mechanations. <laughs> that if Ignis Maddox needed to die for mechanations in order, wouldn't that be magnificent wouldn't to have that? that? Be magnificent. <laughs> It'll really unite the rest of the mechanations. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> But in any case, Stephen Hero will be so ready to talk about Gundam Wing because Ignis Maddox died for Mechanations. That's right. Finally, this image, I was able to martyr myself for uh, Mecha Podcasts everywhere. Um, but no, uh, I, I can't. Lord knows I can't tell you that. Like, it, it's, it's uh, uh, you know, I, I saw this. So in this moment, I, I think this is written explicitly to uh, uh, show that Trey's is, is speaking in innuendo and euphemism here, I think he's very clearly telling his friend Emiliardo Peacecraft that Zex Marquis should die. That that he is in a situation where Trey's understands that Zex has basically accomplished what he set out to accomplish. And even though he is an extraordinary soldier, he does not really care for this whole Roma Feller, rich people, bullshit thing. Like he was in it, he was in it to avenge the peacecrafts. Then he was in it to get engaged in the best battle ever with Hero. And now he's kind of done. So not really that invested in Oz. He is kind of you know later in the fight where he's sacrificing himself. I also want to talk about this whole engagement because this it confuses me. But um, he talks about how his friendship with with Trey's. Will he's he is he seems concerned that his friendship with Trades is going to force him to stay engaged with this conflict, even though he doesn't believe in it. Like he says it in a stupid way. He talks about it's like, oh, I will, uh, you know, I will. What is it? Engage with your radical dreams or whatever. Which is like Trades' dreams are not radical. <laughs> like he is very much as much as he like like thinks highly of himself. He's very much in for the status quo. Like in a big bad way. Uh, let me see if I can find it. Uh, I probably wrote it down. Oh, no. It might have gotten swallowed up by uh, a thing that happens later in this episode. <laughs> uh, uh, why do people fight? No, no. See, I can't get into that. That's yep, going to be... No, that's, that's later. Too much. Um, but in any case, uh, you know, Trey's is saying here, like, we can't have you... If you really want this to be, like, on the level, we can't have you, like, actually go through a real court martial um, where you will like throw yourself on your sword. Cause it'll make us, it will really uh, get the throw monkey wrench in our plans for uh, space Yeah, because Zex would just be like, Oh no, we definitely did all those atrocities and right. I definitely engaged in Absolutely. war crimes and lady Un was super duper involved and I killed the shit out of two idiots. You know uh, it, it's, it's that that's the thing where they can't have, uh, Zex Marquis go under a, uh, a court martial, but Miliardo Peacecraft. No one even knows Miliardo Peacecraft is Zex Marquis, except for Trey's and and Noin. Um, so this is the easiest way. Uh, obviously, this is what he says. He says just like you should die. It will be great. 
won't that be magnificent? And he says that last part uh, in a sort of like we're, we're seeing the starts of the mobile doll demonstration. And it and it's like, you're right. It's hard to say how much of this was monologue. Yeah, and how much of and it I was. feel like at some point, too, when Trey's is speaking, it, it changes. You know, like sometimes lines are recorded in a certain way to indicate like you're in a helicopter or, or something like that. Yeah, like you're in a different environment. And so and so I wasn't clear if at some point, you know, to sort of indicate just using a sort of uh, like soft, dreamy kind of atmosphere to indicate an internal monologue, right? You're, you're talking to yourself. That is often feathered in such a way. I don't know what the audio engineering term would be. Right. But it, it's, it's colored in such a way uh, orally to make it clear that the person is talking uh, in, internally. So I would suggest, and yes. this is something I was going to talk about in episode 19 mm-hmm. with Howard, um, because some of the way he delivers his voice I think is the most explicit case of this. Um, what that he's actually in a helicopter shouting his lines well so okay so this is what i mean so there are obvious cases with some of the voice acting where the performers were given lines and just read it straight without knowing how the delivery was meant to land the way blaine says this line you become oz's enemy sex marquis oz's very own heroes broken away from them no harm in taking care of you like he doesn't know so here's how i think like and if you want like obviously you could play the real line over my interpretation there sure uh, i would encourage it here because this is how i i think that line should be read yeah yeah you've become oz's enemy zex marquis oz's very own hero is broken away from them no harm in taking care of you like it's the the idea is that you know what the character is trying to communicate there when you read those lines and and like the way it sticks out to me like that is that it's something I've experienced. I've talked about it on the Avengers podcast when when I'm playing Phoenix Wright with my partner or with friends and I'm reading the dialogue out loud and doing one of my impersonations. If I if I don't know where the the dialogue is going, I'm reading it all out in the same tone like that because that's not how people talk. But that's easy to do when you're just reading dialogue and not given direction for it. And I imagine that's probably what's going on, is that they're just reading dialogue right, without right. a lot of direction. And I think that would cover for what you're experiencing there with the Trey's monologues, is that he's just reading it how he would always read any yeah. of his dialogue. Um, do we want to talk about... It's skipping ahead, kind of, if we would talk about the mobile doll demonstration now, but we, we, we're kind of there. Do we want yeah, to talk I mean, about it the now? Only, the only other thing we really want to touch on beforehand is just the fact that they, they set up the, the fight later in the episode. Because that's what I have in my notes, is that once, once we finish up that conversation, they're like, oh, yeah, some Alliance survivors are going to destroy Talgies to prove their value to Oz or something. That's like what the, the setup is for that, that Talgies fight. Well, so, yeah, it's really odd, right? So it's like, okay, um, and later we'll get a line that confirms this, that like there's going to be a – we do get numbers in this case. Like, yeah. Like 200. Well, it's 70, it's 50 Aries and 20 cancers oh okay that's more than five that is more than five um but (laughs) so um you know the the guy explains it to zex like there's going to be this many mechs and they're coming here and they're they're alliance forces that are trying to make an appeal to um roman feller and and i wasn't like so like we know everything about the details of this attack um and it's and it's an attack it's like like he is meant to shoot to kill the, his opponents here. This is not like a some sort of military demonstration of some kind. Like it felt like very revolutionary war to me. Like like you know where like the 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 battlefield is on a stage, so to speak, where like people line up and and there's like you know 
uh, I don't know. I'm not an expert of this. I'm speaking from a very like pop culture sort of sure, sure. understanding of how this sort of stuff work. But like, I, I don't, I didn't understand how they would have this much information and what was expected in the battle here. Like it, it, this is really bizarre. Um, and later we're given, it's like, okay, this was a, a thing concocted in order to give Zex a, uh, you know, escape goat reason to escape. But you know, now it's a perfect reason to, you know, have him die in the middle of battle so that he doesn't have to do the court martial, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That's, that stuff is stupid. It, it, yeah, it makes no sense. It, it, it's, it's just a it's setup. Just, it's just a setup. Yeah. Um, so I, I wanted to talk about the reason why I wanted to talk about that mobile doll yeah, demonstration right. here is because something that Gundam wing does a lot in these three episodes is that we'll cut to one perspective and the Alliance is good or at least sympathetic. Mm-hmm. Like in yeah. this episode, we have, Mustache Man, who is, comes across Catra when he's sending out his signal, um, and uh, Mustache Man is the only reason why Catra survives and is able to escape from the Oz soldiers and stuff like that. Um, whereas Duo gets captured when he attempts to defend himself in the normal way. Hero fucking blasts him in episode nineteen about that later. By the way, um, uh, uh, and then we'll cut to Zex, who is very clearly our sim- sympathetic character there and he's fighting the alliance and the alliance is bad again and we were meant to dislike the alliance or at least not mind that he's just he's just bopping them they're just straight giving it's, them it's a massacre yeah it's yeah. awful um and like this is a, a storytelling mistake <laughs> it is so hard to emotionally keep track of what you're supposed to be feeling in any particular moment because like i remember vividly being like yeah hell yeah mustache man and then we start back to zex killing the alliance and i'm like oh um <laughs> uh but in any case we we get to trace here uh trace is is here witnessing a demonstration of the mobile dolls uh, I believe we are this character, mm-hmm. uh, this this aristocratic man who is speaking in the very pronounced accent. You know, I call it an accent, but it's not. It's yeah, some yeah. Kind, it's some kind of demonstration. The very uh, Hellfire Club looking gentleman. I think we've we've met this gentleman before. I believe this was the guy giving the fascism is good speech. Uh, maybe I feel like we might have met him before. Uh, we definitely didn't meet this uh, the the aristocratic chief engineer. No, though, right? chief engineer is brand new to this brand episode, new. Okay. and I believe a going concern. Okay, I, I I have just I like I don't know if this is me just sensing the original Gundam in here, but he has a very like like higher up in Zeon who we'll be seeing for the next like five or ten episodes sort of face about him. Um. Uh, so we're demonstrating the, the the usefulness of the mobile dolls, and we show them being very good at hitting targets in in Quidditch nets. So they'll be excellent in the next Quidditch tournament. Um, uh, Joey Lumbermouth, yeah. as he shows his namesake. <laughs> yeah, as his namesake. <laughs> what is he? His lumber pile. Yeah. And he calls a mouth. Um, I encourage everyone to find some kind of uh, recording or. Uh, I'm not even sure how you would get that nowadays. Is of, it not on YouTube anymore? It might be on YouTube. Okay. Of uh, Brad Neely's Wizard People, Dear Reader, a commentary track for the first Harry Potter film. It is the best thing yeah. related to Harry Potter. It's really good, folks. It is extremely funny. Yeah. Um, in any case, uh, the, the demonstration is going pretty well until a green Leo, the land mobile suit, enters the battlefield and starts attacking the command center. Uh, and so the chief engineer and the uh, Hellfire Club guy uh, order the mobile dolls to attack, and it's revealed that it's Trays. 
And and Trey's is trying to he's trying to make a point. Let's talk about this. Yeah. Right. Let's talk about this point. So Trey's is our main antagonist, you would say. Um, he is the face that we've put onto Oz, and Oz is our main force of contention, right? We have Oz is the force that it is implied heavily is behind the assassination of Hiro Yui, and that was like the main. That's like the the main crime point in the series. It seems like that seems to be like you know not to bring it back to Game of Thrones, but the Roberts Rebellion, the inciting incident that led to everything that's happening in this show. Um. And here the show is having him make the moral argument against the mobile dolls. Mm -hmm. Um, And the form this moral argument is taking is that mobile dolls will cause us to value human life less because the ease in which the mobile dolls can engage in warfare is going to remove some sort of the way Trey sees it as some sort of human dignity from warfare. Cause the thing we have to understand about Trey's philosophy is that he, he views the act of warfare as like the highest form of human nobility. And so if you take that human element out of it, uh, then it can it, it it compromises the whole endeavor and it doesn't it removes the whole point of doing it at all um to trays um now this is okay something that's tough about fiction i think for for or tough to talk about mm-hmm. is that you 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 get to engage with all these ideas and and the in in a perfect world we'd be able to engage with them and all come to conclusions about these ideas that are within a ballpark. I'm not saying they're the same, but we're within a ballpark. Um, you can't... It's very odd to put the, the, the moral stance of the show in the mouth of your antagonist because typically the reason you do that is to, to communicate to the audience that this is incorrect, that this is bad. Like, I want... I, like, um, uh, Kylo Ren is a good example of this. Kylo Ren, typically, if he says the thing, you're meant to understand that his understanding is bad, yeah. and therefore you shouldn't... When the bad guy tells you it's his philosophy, maybe he is the bad guy telling you the bad thing. Yes. So so this is the problem here, because there is an element... Because the thing that Trace is saying is the thing that the science creeps say. And as much as we as viewers, as savvy people engaging with this work are like dismissive of the science creeps and judgmental, they are meant to be like the good guy perspective. Like they are basically the fathers of the Gundams in many ways. And so as much as they are like maybe a sort of chaotic good, they are still like good. As much as it, it's like crazy that Dr. J, isn't it awesome we turned Hero into a child soldier, is like our like perspective character. It, it's true though, right? Um, it's a big storytelling issue, I would say. I think it's a mistake, I, I would even say. Yeah, I think... But well, it's... I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so I, for, for me and my read, because, like, definitely, I think if we if we take Trey's uh, at his word, I think I, I follow that everything you've said. I think the the outcome of this scene, and, and also how, as how it relates to the science creeps and their views as well... Because like there's there's what Trace is telling us about warfare 
and his philosophy on warfare and what's going to happen to it as a result of the introduction of the mobile dolls. Right. Uh, but I also feel like implicit in all of this is a, is sort of a discussion about power. And because the reason Trey's comes out on top isn't because, you know, of a superior philosophy. It's because Trey's understands power better than the other folks do. And that by having loyalty, that that ultimately is going to outweigh how cool your gun is. Well, so I, I, I agree with you. You're correct. Uh, I, I agree that that's what the, the scene is trying yeah. to get at is that, the, you know, the, the weakness of the mobile dolls is that they, they lack the, the human quality of loyalty. That's part of parcel of what I was talking about mm. with the human nobility. Because mm-hmm. that is an effective way to demonstrate one of the flaws. And we'll see it again in 19. 19 right. is going to be the ultimate sort of like, like period to what is the problem with the mobile dolls. Um, uh, but what, what Zex or what Trace demonstrates here is the, the true power of, of human engaged in warfare is that loyalty it inspires. That's, that's the nobility mm, I'm describing okay, yeah, is, yeah. is that, you know, and that's why I'm saying this is a mistake because they, they fucked this up because the show writers mm-hmm. love Trace so much and they don't like, I think they understand he's meant to be the bad guy, but I don't know if they understand that when they put these words in his mouth, it, it compromises them because these are the, this is, as far as the show is concerned, the correct way to feel about this, right? That, that removing the human element is going to turn war into an even worse thing than it is. That's the thing that the science creeps are saying right. when they're witnessing the mobile dolls. And like it turns warfare into a game. And I wish they would just declare a winner to this game. Um, and this is where um, Mr. Clean, Baldy, we were talking about. This is, I wish Stephen Hero was here. I know. Um, uh, 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 he has this line... That I think it, the dub and and the original script don't do a lot of justice to, but I think is really interesting, which is where he says that young people always want to think things out rationally, and like when you hear that without context, you're like, "What's wrong with that? That sounds nice. Think things out rationally in 2019. That that sounds pretty good." Um, but I, what I think what he's actually saying there is that young people like to think without nuance. Mm-hmm. I think what he's trying to communicate is that if you think about everything purely rational, yeah. with a pure logic, if you're just thinking about numbers, if you're just looking at metrics, you're, you're going to arrive at a solution, but it might not be the best one because you're not thinking about nuance, right? You're not thinking about like, oh, well, if we want to win wars, then we'll just make the best possible gun. Right, it's like, well, if we make the best possible gun, what happens when that when we do that? Right, what does that right. mean? Yeah, I, I think that's what he's actually like. I know I've kind of attached myself to sort of a throwaway line here, but it's one of those things I was thinking about. Like, I almost wish, again, I wish I I knew more about the language because I I know how much in Japanese, like the the specific characters or phrases that you mm. use have a specific context that, that would communicate something. And I, and I think that's what's happening here. Cause it's otherwise I, I otherwise I don't know what he means, you know, but I have to assume what he really means is that young people tend to think too pragmatically, mm-hmm. right. Yeah, to the yeah. detriment of the, right, really right. solving the problem. Um, what else even happens in this episode? So they, so Katra is duo is captured. Katra is not captured. Yeah, Katra gets through this whole... I mean, I don't think there's too much to say about it. You already really talked, I think, about the Alliance soldier and how there's this part where the Alliance soldier is the good guy and he decides that, you know, the 
the enemy of our of our enemy is our friend, right. so we're going to save Katra. And the the Alliance commander sacrifices himself, uh, you know, so that the uh, that that Katra floats off into space. We're starting to to develop a real canon of like useful mustache men because in last week we had the blimp pilot who had a glorious mustache. Uh, the captain of the Eldridge has a mustache. Uh, and then we have this man who is also mustached and is extremely helpful to mm. our, our, our heroes. Did anyone in Genlock have a mustache? Well, um, Miguel, oh, um, Migas yeah, has yeah, a mustache. Migas, you're and right. Migas, of course, is, is kind of MVP of the show. Pretty much MVP of the show. Yeah, um, that makes sense. Uh, and I'm sure, I, I mean, if you got to Val on a specific day, I'm sure Val's had Could have a mustache. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, uh, so yeah, that's pretty much. Is there anything else in eighteen we really should discuss? Well, I mean, well, oh yeah, I mean the finale of eighteen. That's right. How could I? I my brain just fell out of my skull when this happened. So um, there's, I imagine there's a segment of our audience that watches along as we, you know, yeah. as as they hear we're going to be doing these, and a segment that doesn't. Um, eighteen ends in a unique way for Gundam Wing. Uh, how do you PMC? How do you want to do this? Do you want to just uh, do you want to just play it out, or do you want to do? You, do you think one of us should do a dramatic reading, or what? I mean, I was just gonna, uh, I mean, just describe because I I think what's important, especially for people who are not watching along. I think if if you're watching along, you had this experience already. Yes, yes. If you're not watching along, we've described that in this show there is a narrator. There will be portions of the show. Where this narrator talks over scenes of whatever happening, sure, and describes us things, um, and so at some point towards the end of episode eighteen, we start seeing that same sort of imagery, and the hero uh, voice reads to us sort of a you know a very overly broad description of of humanity and space colonies. And then yeah. it gets kind of more specific as you, you approach the, the, the particular present situation, but we're, we're given no context for it. As far as we know, this is narration. Yeah. We, we cut in and we're seeing this sort of montage that we would typically see when the narrator cuts in to deliver information to us. And like, we haven't been specific about those montages. Cause like, Mostly they're unrelated images while the narrator talks. Like sometimes they'll come into play, sometimes they won't. Um, and in this particular case, we, we have Hero and he is basically narrating like a sort of vague history of humanity in space, like you said, and how that essentially he is reading a very cynical take on it. Um, and he describes basically how the, the uh, development of humanity in space has really just ended up being a reflection of general human history yeah. Huma- humanity didn't really change when right. they went to space right exactly we just brought our our bullshit into space um and uh the hilarious reveal of this uh is that this is a it's not even an essay it is his greeting speech. right because we then we then see the shocked faces of the classmates and then we see hero up at a you know at a podium reading and the and the and the teacher is like you're making your classmates uncomfortable, comma, duo Maxwell. <laughs> in, uh, in many ways, that is like the more shocking reveal. Than- like the most serious own possible. <laughs> <laughs> he went with duo. Oh, my God. 
Uh, it really is like the most brutal own. So I have a question. Yes. I, I really, I, I, it is to my great disappointment that Steven Hero was not able to be here right. to, to give us his perspective as a teacher, a professional in this field. Yes. Um, do you think that Hero is actually using this as an opportunity to explore his mixed feelings about this and, and like just doesn't kind of put together that this just isn't the time for this or um is he on purpose trying to put everyone off in order to not to to basically make everyone not engage with him because he's such a i think that is a part of it i think though the show is also making it clear that to like the the dr j and relina and other characters have told us that hero has a good heart yes and I think the way that the show has Hero express this is his extremely perverse sense of humor. That's yeah, I agree. I think I think that's correct. I think we will see it in nineteen. Yes, I think ultimately that what we see Hero choose to do is the most we've seen Hero have a kind heart, like we've been told. But yes, I agree with you. So I, I think what he's doing here. It could be a little bit of the first option. I think the second option is definitely confirmed that he is seeking to be a little off-putting. Yeah. And I think the third option is that he is making people uncomfortable and using Duo's name because he thinks he's funny. Yeah, it's a brutal, brutal own. Yeah. It's extremely good. Um, yeah, I think that... I think you're right. I think it's a little bit of all and three. And then also, doesn't his... Like, once... Doesn't his monologue continue after? Like, oh. He finishes the monologue as a narrated monologue. Yes, he continues for a little bit afterwards. Yeah. So he, he basically is just, you know, pontificating on the the uh, idea of like scientific advancement largely being used for for military. Right, right. Uh, it makes his his classmates uncomfortable. So why do people fight anyway? Perhaps the meaning of human existence. And we cut to uh, Zex Marquise, or oh, I guess we should talk about that. Um, uh, Zex gets into the fat battle. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, he trounces he everyone. Ass. Yeah, exactly. Like cuts a boat in half. Something we should, I, I wanted to talk about, and I think something, uh, I wanted to explore why we enjoy the Tall Geese action scenes so much. And I think it has a lot to do with, because of the way that the Tall Geese is designed with those Vernier engines, I can't believe we got to hear Vernier engines again in episode 19, um... Uh, it forces the action scenes to be done in a way that emphasizes Tall Geese's speed. Like, the worst Tall Geese action scene we've ever had so far is the the solo fight with Hero, because we didn't get to see as much of the... Once they're on the f- ground just beam-sabering each other, like, that's the least interesting way Tall Geese can fight. Because of those engines, though, he's, he's jumping around, he's moving horizontally, vertically in fights. Yeah. You get to see those giant arm cannons. Like, I, I think the... The reason that those fights seem better is because they're utilizing the visual logic mm-hmm. of, of the mech better. Yeah, in that. yeah. Then the other Gundams, I feel like the other Gundams, there just isn't the, the passion behind because of the, you know, the meta reasons why they exist, you know? Um, uh, but we have a moment here where Zex describes his, his motivations as not being able to maintain uh, consistency if his mask breaks. And uh, I said here, uh, the imagery doesn't count if you just say it, Joe. <laughs> it doesn't count if you just say it, which is what he does. He says it, and then the fucking mask breaks like a second afterwards. And I'm like, it doesn't, that's not, 
mm, you could have just let it break. And in a, in a way, it almost feels like a sort of uh, like uh, like a church proceeding. Like you yeah. know, we will, we will break this bread in memory of you. Yeah. We will break this mask. It is a symbol. You know, it's, there's a certain liturgical feeling to That's it. That's a good point, actually. There's an angle uh, that I didn't consider, but I do think that there's a similarity between those two. There, yeah. where there's like a like a formality almost. Right, but, right. Um, but in any case, so uh, we see that Zax has survived. Yeah, or I would say, Miliardo has survived. Um, I, I don't mean to get. Uh, pedantic about this, but I I have a thing when it comes to uh, character identity and name changes. I, I think when you have a character who goes by multiple names and when and like associates those names with a particular presentation, when they choose to abandon that presentation and change that name, that kind of changes their identity in the show. Um, sometimes, not always. I think that it, depending on the thing you're talking about, it, it's important to differentiate because it signals a change in the character's trajectory. For sure. Um, and I think that's the case here. Yeah, um, I think it's definitely true. Do you want to take a short break between... Yeah. And now, I cannot be your friend anymore. I think we're making good time. Episode 19. Yeah. Assault on um, Barge. Barja. Are we are we recording? Is yeah, that? I never okay. I never cut it off. Oh, okay. I could, yeah. I'm confused when I see it so solid. It's solid as recording. Okay. Yeah. Cuz I, I can tell cuz there's a if you look at the, I mean, you want to come over here for a second. I can, well, I can point well, out I, to you. Well, I, I just apologize because yeah. in, in your edit, you, you might hear. <laughs> I was just sitting here making mouth noises into the fucking, and not Neil C. Sariga's mouth noises. Just sitting here making like a <laughs> well, I'll just I'll just do the Kato thing and append it to the end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like no other voices too. I'll just have that by itself. Oh, no. <laughs> mouth noises. Okay. But yes, in any case, uh, episode 19, Assault on Barge. Um, we get a new narration here. So I thought the Gundams were sent to Earth because of the Alliance oppressing, but apparently now the narrator tells us that the Gundams were developed specifically in response to the assassination of the political leader Hiro Yui. So I don't. I'm. Mm, I'm very confused about all of that. <laughs> so like, that's probably true. Like, there's probably like a truth to that, right? Where the Alliance uh, 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 oppression. And the assassination of Hiro Yui are related, right? Where, like, if Hiro Yui was allowed to exist still, then maybe there would have been a stronger coalition of the colonies, and that maybe would have been able to resist the oppression of the... I don't know. The the show is tracing to, like, point A to point B, basically, and I'm just going to let it do it. Like, whatever. It's fine. It, It, like... At this point, the the narration is is seriously just here to confuse us. Like it, it's at this point, we're we're confused the entire issue because the alliance is a a, a party that exists in like in order to only provide like mobile suits basically that aren't related to Oz or the Gundams. Um, we cut on uh, on Miliard Peacecraft waking up. Um, it is very strange to see a uh, Gundam Wing character in a t shirt. Um, specifically Miliardo in a t-shirt is very odd. Um, uh, what did you think of the scene where he looks over at his uniform and there's like a ghostly aura around it? Did you, did, did that work for you? I understood what they were trying to convey, but was that, was that something? Yeah, I think it, I think it worked for me because I think what that aura does is it, 
much in the same way that you were just emphasizing how the different names have different personas and different identities. Mm -hmm. I think putting that sort of ghostly halo around the coat emphasizes that, you know, here lies Zex Marquis. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. I think that's exactly what they were trying to get across. And I think it works. It's silly. Yeah, oh yeah, it's a little cartoonish. It's but. a little do- dopey for sure. But um, uh, so we f- we find that um, that Miliardo was saved by Blaine. You know, Cinnabar Island's right. Blaine. Yep. We saw helping duo in previous episodes. Uh, we learned that his name is Howard. I'm going to go ahead and call him Blaine. Uh, and that uh, he was one of the. He was also a another, science creep. Yeah, another old toggy science creep. Yeah, yeah, he was a secret extra science creep. Um, and you know, I already talked about his voice acting and what I think is going on there, but I also, I described it as someone who is speaking in all caps, but with a measured voice. Yeah. <laughs> I, so are you familiar at all with, with, uh, Grand Theft Auto San Andreas? I, I, I played it very casually a mm, very yeah. long time ago. So there are things I'll recognize. Yeah. But it, there's a mission in that game where you drive to a certain point out in, in the wilderness and, you're snooping on some people and you take photos of them as they're doing a meetup and all the lines, the, 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 the character voice lines between the main character CJ and his accomplice Caesar are shouted at the top of their lungs during this. And the reason why historically is because originally you were going to be snooping on these people while in a helicopter. (laughs) And so the idea is, is that their lines are supposed to be shouted over the noise of a helicopter. Right. Okay. And and that is exactly how I felt about Howard's lines. Yes. Okay. That that's that is an exactly perfect way to put it. They're definitely shouted over the noise of a helicopter. Uh, it should enter that into the trope book. Um. So, oh, I guess here is where Duo gets captured. It's it's the start of nineteen rather than eighteen. Yeah. 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 Um. But yeah. Uh. This is also I I think I I really. Uh, got attached to Scott McNeil's performances duo in this scene. I think a lot of times I could tell that like Scott McNeil is trying to inject life into it, but it's not a line that makes sense. And I think here there's a lot more like comfortable sort of like lines. What he has a great one-liner before he tries to blow himself up about like I'll I'll, I'll drag you to hell with me or whatever. And and I felt like it was typical duo that he, of course, because he got a cool line, it wouldn't work. Like that's duo seem like a whole lot in life. It seems like. Um, the mole doll guy has a great, uh, Gundam, you're lucky I'm here for foreshadowing. Like, gun, lucky I'm not a mobile doll. Yeah. I hope this doesn't when, come into yeah, play later. I hope this doesn't happen to me later. Um, what do you make? Okay, so at this point, I don't, so we have, right now, in episode 19, we're, we have, we're not in the back half of 19 yet, but this is, the front half of 19 is, is where we have the thing where the subordinate shows up and is like, trace right and then she's like what oh i'm evil now right right so that happens in this whereas in like 17 again she had no it didn't we didn't see like anything it. right that clearly sometimes people put on a charm front and that's just what you do in your job right it, it is in this particular episode where the show calls attention yes to the effort it takes for lady un to get into war mode Right. This is the time where that happens because there's like very clear. She says, "His Excellency Trace," and then there's this like grace, like like psychoactive sort of background, and then we hear her like to the performer's credit. Yeah, yeah. The actress understands. There's like peace voice and war voice. I will say that there is less separating. Like in in episode seventeen, it really does sound to me that that the actor read the script. 
and said, okay, this is just I'm charm offensive. Yeah, exactly. So there's a difference between peace and war in 17. And then she read the script in 19 and I was like, oh. Oh, I guess not. Yeah. I really got to like ham it up. Yes. Yeah. I have to play this. To me, this is exaggerated at this point. The peace on in, in 19 is exaggerated. Whereas in 17, it was just more like charm on. Yeah. I mean, there's a, I, I think in, in support of what you're saying there, um, the, is the shot where the narrator is explaining the Oz's approach for the third fucking time. Um, well, cause like, again, I, we, I know we talked about this on the top, but like yeah, yeah, yeah. all three of these episodes are exclusively about Oz's approach and how it's different in space. And like, I just, I don't know. I really would love to know why they felt this repetition was so necessary in that regard. But in any case, there's a shot where she's descending from a space shuttle and it's like very specifically meant to be like, here is the angelic face of Oz that they're putting up. Like there's even sparkles following in her trail as her hair like descends behind her in the low gravity. And I, I thought that was a good image. Yeah. I was yeah. like, okay, this is yeah, like charm offensive image. Let's go. Right. Um, but I do agree that, that like in 19, we have fully fallen into like, this is a psychotic break that she's experiencing rather than like, or I guess the better way of putting it is that like, her her sense of like duty to Oz is such that like the in order to live as Lady Un as we knew her and the Lady Un that she was forced to become in order to serve Oz in the most faithful way mm, possible yeah. are so stark that they could only exist in the same person if like she completely actually convinced herself mm, that that was the yeah, case yeah, rather yeah. than putting up some kind of front like it almost seems like she's such an like i I, i'm gonna say this is gonna sound like i'm giving her a compliment when i'm not um it's almost like she's such an honest person that she can't put up a front like Mm -hmm. that that she has to like believe it herself in order to sell it um it's it's rough like it's it's so rough that i'm not even really sure how i feel about it like there's an aspect of it like i think if steven hero was here he would help me like like find like some kind of grounding Mm -hmm. place for it where I could land on a more sort of like academic or reasoned take. But like, it's so absurd that I can't help but find it really very funny. Like it's, it's like, yeah, you know, I think that for me, it, it mostly feels like we've talked before, I believe in the context of what eventually happens in, endless waltz yes yes that there are characters that have long arcs that i think we can tell the the writers thought about i think zex sure maybe some of the boys yeah they don't know what they're doing with on they really don't <laughs> I, I think that's fair i think that lady on for sure is the most like apparent when it comes to the style of of uh, laying the tracks in front of the train as it goes that, that we've described for gundam wing before i i think it's fair to say that she's definitely like and the reason we're harping on this if you if you aren't watching along is because of a payoff later in the episode right right um so duo has been captured uh we are shown a news report that tro is watching that explicitly is basically saying like oh i guess we shouldn't should we talk about Lady Un's LOLJK? So, on, when it comes to capturing Duo in that in that section, uh, Un is very concerned about uh, the what are the possible effects on the morale of resistance forces as a you know as as a consequence of the various outcomes of, right. of this action situation. And one of the distinctions that she chooses to make 
is like, if he's ugly, let him live. And if he's pretty, bury him. Uh, yeah. And, and I think that, so this is, she, she, like I said, she eventually re- reveals that she's joking, but I think regardless of the like joke of the scene, I think it does establish war on as someone who is aware of what it takes to manipulate perception, um, which is kind of surprising considering how little she cares mm. about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like a definite running. Even we'll see in this episode, she makes a call about firing. Uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. That's not her. It's a very Lady Un decision, but it's not actually Lady Un who makes that call. It's a mobile doll guy or who, who's like, shoot our big gun to, yeah. to, to fire at Buffet. My bad. My bad, Lady Un. You definitely wouldn't have done something like that. Um, uh, uh, but it, it's something that even though, I mean, this whole moment is odd because of that. Uh, and like, there's like, a, even the uh, like Oz guy is like, let him live if he's ugly. Like what? Yeah, like, what the hell are you talking about? What are you about? talking about? I, I understand what she's, what she's saying though. It doesn't seem to matter because they do show off hero right away. I, I would say showing off hero is a mistake or duo rather. I apologize that showing off duo is a mistake, especially like, He's a young boy and he's very clearly injured. And of the boys, like they're all pretty, but he is like probably the prettiest of the boys with his very long hair and the yeah, black outfit. Braided hair and well dressed. Yeah, and- exactly. Um, and it's clear in the uh, scenes that they are, they are, they're, not, I wouldn't say torturing him, but they're beating him. Like they're, they're definitely like, we're not shown any explicit scenes, but when we see him meet Mobile Doll Guy, He's already like injured in a way that I don't think he sustained in battle. It didn't seem like it anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then later, after that interrogation scene where he's told that he's going to be executed and, and this will unite the colonies against the Gundams, um, he has a line where he's like, they worked me over. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I know he's an enemy combatant. Um, but like... And I know that Oz is our bad guys, right? This is this is one of those things that in a, a normal story, this is like your proof that right the well, bad the bad guys beat prisoners. Yes, that's bad. Um, uh, uh, but we're shown something I shouldn't have cut away from when Tro is watching the news report is that he's kind of we've shown seen that he ended up kind of far away from mm-hmm. there when he went into space. So he's sort of like, well, heroes close by. I'm sure he'll handle it. And I, and I feel like his his point of view on Hero is a little bit skewed. Um, he definitely... I mean, he ends up being correct, I suppose. But uh, in any case, uh, Duo is surprised to find Hero uh, rescuing him. Uh, of course, Hero is going to kill him at first. Uh, and there's a very fun scene where Duo is sort of like... Uh, I, I don't think he's putting up a front. I think he actually is resolved to it. But I do like that he calls out. He's like, so wait, are you really going to shoot me? <laughs> yeah, like, what? Um, and Hero is like, what do you think? And throws him the gun. Yeah. Um, and I mean, the answer was yes. The answer was absolutely, absolutely. yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, and a- as I mentioned earlier, um, uh, uh, Hero completely mm-hmm. uh, blasts Duo for getting captured at all. Yeah. Uh, in a way that is s- super duper funny. Um, uh, um, <laughs> yeah, don't worry. This will just be cut. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> it's it's you're just, good. You're good. You're it's good, just you're definitely good. a good God, image. God. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, what was I? Now my, my train of thought is totally fucking gone. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, 
Uh, yeah, he 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 brutalizes Duo for getting captured. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have like like you you mentioned at the top a, a, a compelling action scene. Yeah, where definitely. um uh uh the Duo hero is shown to be like intelligent in how he leaves the bombs behind him and funnels the opposition into a particular part of the station and like they're clearly not going for the Gundam. Like they make a choice there to not exactly, go for, yeah. for the Gundams because not, not only because it makes their whole mission difficult, but the Gundams aren't even useful out here in space. You know, we haven't explicitly talked about it, but the, the space, the science creeps designed them for earth combat. And so they really aren't in, we, that's what we're demonstrated in the battle with, with death scythe is that they aren't really prepared for space combat. Um, in this, this, in the chaos of this, Wu Fei shows up. I groaned again. I was like, "Fuck, <laughs> Wu Fei." Um, but Wu Fei's in a weird mood. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he he seems to have really become fed up with the tactics of Oz, uh, and especially too when he's he's you know he's fighting a bunch of Leos in front of the the land uh, the, the the barge fortress. Yeah, barge, and right in front of the big space laser. And they fire the space laser. It is a space laser. Right. Yeah. And and Wu Fei just sort of like, like, but still gets his arm uh, uh, cut off. And it's really, because you look at the animation, like all the other Leos are like completely still as his laser fires. And Wu Fei is just like, those just like right, gets it right away. Those Leos uh, put me in mind of how I play first person shooters. Like the way that that Wu Fei is able to react to that, and me just standing there. That's exactly how it works for me in first person shooters. That's my awareness. Mm. Um, yeah. So, but but then <laughs> then he's like really appalled by this by is. by the Oz forces firing on their own soldiers, and says. I've never seen the enemy appear as large and foul as they are right now. Large. Can you? Large. What does large mean? I, foul, I get. Yeah, I can understand. Foul, foul makes sense. Why are they large? <laughs> That's a good question. I I really would love to know. I don't. I I mean, like, I, this isn't one of those where I I didn't this time around take a look at the script to see what was in mm-hmm, it originally. Yeah. Um, I I I really try hard not to do that as much. Um. But man, I I couldn't tell you. I I would imagine this is flap. I imagine this was some match. Right, I think flap. that I I usually watch with the subtitles on, and the subtitle just said, "I've never seen the enemy appear as foul as they are." Yeah, right now. so that seems like that's flap. yeah. Large is completely an invention of the dub. Yeah, that seems right. Um, so one of the the issues that the Oz forces are having in this battle is that Lady Un will have to leave this space station in order to arrive at a meeting at another space station. Uh, now, while this is happening, uh, there is a moment where the forces, Oz forces in space, have the opportunity to fire upon Wu Fei, and they're looking for that order from Lady Un, and Lady Un does not give it. And in fact, before even given this opportunity, Lady Un is is traveling over the battlefield, and she and she has words for everyone in the battlefield. She's like, "Stop! Stop this!" This worthless fighting. Stop this carrying over these grudges from the previous conflicts. We should look for a peaceful solution moving forward. And the moment where she's given the opportunity to give the order and doesn't flags to us, the audience, that this is a real, concrete, not change, but like true, sincere feeling that peace un has. This is not a front. She legitimately, in this mode of being, believes in peace above all else. And... That's madness. Yeah. This is this is a, a this is not let's be clear. 
This is not what character development looks like. Nope. I don't, I don't, hmm, do I do this? Is this the time? Is this the opportunity for me to talk about this? Look, okay. I don't like Game of Thrones very much. Ooh. Yeah, I, I, I know. I don't want to. This is going to be a big thing. There's going to be a lot of discourse around this. Um, there's been a lot of topics about season eight and how it's been going, stuff like that. I don't like the show. I don't like the story. I don't even like the fucking books that much. Yeah, the, the books are, are, I would say, if you're if you're looking for like the way to experience the setting, the story, these characters, the books are the way to do it. The books are have a good prose. They have constructed well. The character development makes more sense because you're in their heads, and so you're able to follow a lot of the, you know, the threads. In any case, I'm getting off topic. Um, season eight was a big turn for one of the main characters. Uh, we have thus far not been shown the aftermath of this big turn, and so it is hard to say definitively what this what the motivations for this big turn are going to be at this stage. Uh, my prediction is that they're going to be unsatisfying, but let's let's you can't just do this. There has to be, and foreshadowing is not the same thing. Foreshadowing, foreshadowing is the problem with foreshadowing mm-hmm. is that you can kind of after the fact pretend not pretend that's a bad way of putting it if you go back and pick over story elements Mm -hmm. even without intention i hate to talk about intention when it comes to writing a narrative because you can really get lost in the weeds there there are reasons that a, a writer will do a thing to accomplish a goal that aren't necessarily plot related, but maybe something else related. So I don't like to dig into that too deeply mm-hmm. just because right, right. it's a different conversation. Yeah, yeah, essentially. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, uh, the problem with, with doing this with Lady Un and why it's also a problem with this other character is that there are a lot of yucky Mm-hmm. sort of connotations going on with with both of these sorts of ideas right there's a sort of women be crazy sort of thing going on that uh there's a sort of mystique attached when it comes to narratives involving women in power and how they're able to deal with this power and the effect that it has on them and and it feels to me even though previously, like I described, I, I thought this was kind of funny. This is a funny way to do it with this character because of how extreme she is. It is also gross. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think there's a, you know, for, for multiple levels that you mentioned, it it is it is gross because there's a way that you can do this where someone who has previously been shown to be you know utterly loyal is told to do something... And much in the way that she has done other things in an overzealous manner, does this in an overzealous manner, and that's like a thing when you when you get in when you just force yourself to sell something so hard that you begin to believe it to sure. some extent. Yeah, but that is different than what they are doing. No, here. this is mental illness. Is what they're yes, showing us. They're, they're they're trying to give us the old split personalities yeah. trope or whatever you would call it, uh, and and love like I, I there is I don't think any of them are good. No. It's I you're typically uh, this sort of thing is handled in a iffy way in fiction and like this is like I don't even know as far as I remember I, like I don't think this is a thread they're going to continue I mm. I, I don't think yeah. I think this is going to be a one off sort of 
like event that they never discuss. Like, I don't think there's going to be a thing of Trace being like, so, hey, I, uh, I heard a crazy thing happened out in space, Lady Un. Do you want to explain? <laughs> and she'll be like, oh, I had a, a fucking episode. I'm sorry. Like, I don't know. I, I just think this is just a, a thing to allow the, the, the Wu Fei to escape by stabbing himself in the kidneys. And, and as we all know, when you stab yourself the in kidneys the kidneys... The kidneys are where you store the propulsion. Yes, that's right. So when you stab yourself in the kidneys, you just shoot off to the side. <laughs> I really enjoyed the logic of that. I wasn't sure what he was going for there. Um, so he escapes. Uh, the uh, hero and duo are also able to escape uh, by uh, dressing up in the astro suits of the Oz soldiers um, and by launching, uh, uh, I guess, distraction Leos? On, yeah, they on- just put Leos in a bunch of sleds and launch them. Yeah, you know. um, and this this tells the, the YouTube algorithms on the the mobile dolls yeah. that uh, not only that they should be looking for the Leos, but also people in astro suits. So the mobile dolls not lacking the, the loyalty that, that Trey's set up in episode 18 and lacking the mercy that was ep- uh, uh, set up in episode 17 and lacking the ability to recognize uh, the allies like set up in, you know, you're lucky I'm here for foreshadowing here in episode 19. The mobile doll kills are three mobile doll guys. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, this is where I'm going to take a chance to talk about AI and AI on the battlefield mm-hmm. and AI uh, decision making and what is scary about the mobile dolls um, because maybe that's not explicitly clear for everyone in the audience who's not like intimately familiar with like you and I because we're interested in sci-fi we've engaged with a lot of fiction about AI mm-hmm. and yeah. there's a lot of very popular pieces of cultural artifacts that are concerned with AI like I'll, I think everyone mentions Terminator Terminator right? yep. Terminator and Skynet are probably the most two famous but like HAL 9000 very very, very famous as well culturally prominent yep. uh, AI figure um, if you want to go back to more recent pop films like iRobot was concerned with AI. The Matrix was concerned with AI. Um, what was that one with Joaquin Phoenix and he dates a, a computer? Is that her? I think so. Uh, with Scarlett Johansson is the Maybe? computer voice. Yeah. Yeah. But sim- similar right, sort of yeah. vein. Um, Ex Machina, uh, I that believe. That's an unwatchable film. I believe was about robot I tried watching that AI. on an airplane. Yeah, you did not did not enjoy. I know. I know. We have uh, shared friends who did not yeah. enjoy. But in any case, um, h- humans are concerned about AI. Humans are concerned about a a thinking creature that uh, is where the thinking is designed, right? Because in many ways, the 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 human mind and the, how it specifically works is still kind of a mystery to us. We can see that there's certain areas light up that certain things grow when exposed to other things but the very like specifics of how thinking the specifics of thinking is constructed is kind of uh, uh, a weird mess still um and in many conflicts and uh discourse in other areas are the cause of this but in any case um uh, the thing this makes me think of specifically are you familiar pmc trilogy with defense of the ancients 2 or dota 2 as is commonly known I mean, I might have played Dota 1. <laughs> Dota 1, Defense of the Ancients, was a Warcraft 3 custom map yes. that I would say was probably... I think history has, has borne out that it is probably the most important 
or or significant of the custom maps from Warcraft 3. Yeah, I think that's true. That seems like an odd thing to say, uh, that the most significant thing that came out of Warcraft 3 wasn't something Blizzard-related, but something else entirely. Because Dota, this map, it set out a a structure of gameplay that would end up becoming the MOBA genre, genre as yeah. we know it. So if you're familiar with League of Legends, or Heroes of New Earth, or Heroes of the Storm, or... Uh, uh, any of those other ones that came out but failed spectacularly, Dota 2 is one of these. As a side note, fuck Riot and forced arbitration. Uh, League of Legends was a bad game, but now it's like like yeah, now straight garbage. The in people in charge are bad people as well. Yeah, so it shouldn't be supported in this time. Um, in any case, there was a a in a previous international, which is the big event where Dota professionals come together to compete and find out who's the best at Dota, who wins the Dota this year, um, it was an exhibition by some programmers who have been working with video game companies to develop an AI, and this was called OpenAI. OpenAI had developed a program that allowed the their AI to play Dota over and over again, night after night, 200, 300, 600, 1,000 times a day to learn how to play Dota. And they wanted to pitch them against a human team. This is a classic American myth. Right. The uh, John Henry versus the locomotive. This is a classic thing. The, 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 the chess guy versus the chess machine. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, the Google Go AI versus the GoPros. Um, not the cameras. <laughs> People who are professionals at the game, the ancient game Go. <laughs> um. And Dota, if you're not familiar, is a endlessly complicated game where you play on teams of five and you are meant to destroy the enemy base. That's basically all there is to it. It's kind of a combination of chess and baseball. Let, let's just leave it at that. It involves lots of little calculations, lots of little choices, lots of management, lots of teamwork. It is a complicated game that in many ways, like most games, you learn the game, but you play your opponent. It, do you think that's fair to say with competitive games? Yeah, I, I think when it comes to that sort of, you know, the competitive games with, with that level of expression, you know, in order to succeed, you must play your opponent. Right. It's less that the rules themselves are challenging you in some way and more that the rules are the structure that you navigate in order to defeat your opponent. And what becomes difficult is the psychological aspect of playing against your opponent. Um, this is true of any competitive game, I would say. Definitely. Um, the problem... so. The, the human pros played against the AI. Um, are you familiar with this? Did you see the first time this happened or did you read about it? I know that... I think you might have told me about it in which there were some situations in which the AI performed spookily well and some situations in which they did not. So this is what I was going to get to. Yeah. Um, the AI trounced the human opponents. Mm -hmm. um, I And out of 10 games, the AI will win nine of them. Mm. Um and this has a lot... There's a lot of reasons why. Uh, Dota has items that you can build. Dota has time gold that you get over time in order to get those items. Um, and AI, when they use abilities, when they make decisions... As a human, you intuit. Like, oh, I know when I click this, it will result in this. But the computer, the AI, knows. No, the AI no. is doing that math. The AI isn't looking at a visual representation of the game like you and I would be doing and making decisions based off that. The AI is looking at code and it's saying, if this, then that. 
Um, and so it doesn't make calls. Mm-hmm. It, 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 yeah. it makes determinations based off of available data. And so you can't psych that. You, you, you can make feints, but the, the game goes, in, or the AI goes, instead of like, oh, I'm being fainted, it's that this is not a legitimate, they're going to just do this, I'm going to make this decision so it doesn't matter what they do. Um, as That means that, not necessarily that the AI is unbeatable, mm-hmm. but it means that you cannot approach fighting the AI like you would playing that game against human. I think even with, with speedrunning, or with playing games casually, you, you run into this a lot too. This is why playing in the story mode or the arcade isn't seen as adequate preparation for playing against humans because you could develop strategies because of how AI reacts. Or right. how- I mean, I think an ultimate example of this, I mean, it's going to fall off what you're saying right now, but for, for a great, great example of, you know, what it looks like to optimally play against AI versus what it looks like to optimally play against, you know, a, a human opponent. Fighting game speedruns are a hilarious example of this. It, yes. It's a genre of speedruns that, frankly, isn't too popular, which is kind of for good reason, because usually fighting game speedruns will say, the, the AI is static. This is what the AI is. We can abuse it to just win nine rounds right. in a row or whatever. And it's just, that's it. Right. Whereas when most people talk about fighting games, what excites them about fighting games, it is that back and forth of playing your opponent. Right. It's that, it's that engage that clash between two separate play styles, psychologies. That's what creates the drama that makes those competitive games engaging. Now, the reason I bring all of this up is because the, the application of that, of the open AI Dota AIs to warfare like you can you can see one the sort of loss of romanticism that trades is coming across and two where that becomes terrifying that soulless thing that i was talking about previously like they don't wouldn't make decisions based off of like there's an aspect of this that we could talk about drone warfare obviously like that, that but that's not really what we're talking about here with the mobile dolls the mobile dolls are ai they're not remote controlled from another like that's an ai that's making decisions and instead of you know again like when you're piloting like think about driving a car right when you're driving a car and you press down on the accelerator you have experience that teaches you that when you press it down this much you go forward this much or you press it down this much you go forward that much but an ai is saying if I in- increase the the angle of the accelerator by 19 degrees, I will reach this amount of, which is a completely different kind of thinking. It's a more accurate and a harder to game kind of thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's the real terror that these mobile dolls sort of represent. Um, with that in mind, though, is there any other important topic from 19 you want to discuss other than we talked about Un's psychotic break, we talked about Hero and Duo escaping, the lack of Gundams in space... Uh, Wu Fei's uh, kidney full of uh, explosive gas. Uh, I think we covered it, right? I think yeah, that's no, I think we're pretty the- good. I, I think uh, we can probably move on to our finale segment here, which will be. Uh, do you want to cover Stephen Hero's thoughts? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah let me yeah, see if yeah. I can. I actually might not be able to pull that up. Well, on I, my- can, I can read some of them for you. I'll, here's a, you want me? I'll give you a, maybe. Well, well. So Stephen Hero, uh, who is who is not with us right now? No, he's in Jabbero. Uh He he from 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 Jaburo. He sent us his thoughts about uh, episodes seventeen, eighteen, and nineteen, and he he ordered them good and bad, and he gave us uh, four good things and four bad things. Interesting. Uh, so um, I I think I might bounce between good and bad here. Uh, maybe we'll just we'll, we'll react to each one of these. Yeah. 
Uh, good. I think the narrative is a lot more focused in space, which works to the show's advantage. There were many confusing and disparate plot threads to keep track of when the cast was on Earth. Now it feels a little more organized, as if everything were culminating to a single point. Don't misunderstand me. The plot's still unnecessarily complex at times, but things feel a little more together. Yeah, I was going to fight with the Phantom of Steven Hero for a second there. I'm just going to be like, but he's right, though. It is still... Right, because I think... You know, aside from what you mentioned, which was what the hell's going on with the residue of the Alliance, I think that's generally true. Just by sheer, by being repetitive and redundant, right? the show is clearer and easier to follow. That's a good point. It is, yeah. Because now they're at least all in space and in Gundam Reckoning, that's still like one place as compared to all over the Earth. Bad. There is such a dissonance between the show's earnest and self-serious tone and the laughably infantile dialogue. I know, a lot's lost and twisted in translation, but I think the original script is still complicit. So this is kind of what I was talking about earlier when we were comparing this to Pat Labor, and we were talking about how Pat Labor exists in this world where it really needs you to pretend there's no context to any of the things that the characters are engaging with. Gundam Wing is kind of like, I, I feel like this is like the real sticking point between Steven Hero and you and I, mm, where yeah. like, for some reason, we are able to flip that switch mm-hmm. and uh, let it be like, uh, patently absurd. Yeah. yeah, yeah like yeah. It, it, it does not like it, it like the thing about Pat Labor is that it demands you ignore mm-hmm. context. Yeah. And yeah, Gundam yeah. Wing is, is like context. I've never met her. I don't even know. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And that to me makes it very forgivable. Like, I agree. He's right. Everything he said there was right. But like, it's so much easier to swallow for that right, reason. Right, right. Good. Is it just me or has the animation ticked up a notch? For some reason, the show looks better. I think the only reason I might agree with this is that I think in these episodes... The show is doing things that the show usually looks better at doing. Yeah, yeah, I, that's I would I would agree with. The that. show has always looked better when it comes to sort of interpersonal interactions, and the show always cares the most about animating tall geese. Yes, yeah, no, this, yeah, I would agree. With that. So yeah. that's kind of my take on it. That's uh, fair. Bad. Everyone's motivations are so paper thin and theatrically absurd that they often betray whatever internal consistency the show has established. It's as if all the characters were actors practicing in soundproof rooms, isolated from each other, auditioning for a show that doesn't exist, and all we get are the unrehearsed bits. I think we're talking about two different things here. Because I, 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 I agree that examining motivations, especially for our Gundam boys, is a problem. Yeah. Um, I'm not quite sure if I follow through here to the uh, to the issue of the because I feel like you're talking about I mean the characters being actors in soundproof rooms I guess maybe he's saying that the characters motivations would be clearer uh, if their their dialogue was more related to what they were what their motivations are or yeah I I don't think what you're saying is is an unfair take on that mm. i i agree that the, we're kind of talking about two separate issues yeah, there yeah. i agree that examining the motivations would lead you down a rabbit hole that it reveals the sort of like problems with the show sure. um but I, i'm not sure if the way their decision making has has been shown to be encountered to those motivations like i i feel like 
unless he's talking about Lady Un in specific. Like that's the only time I can think of now where their their character motivations and their actions have been contradictory. Mm-hmm. And Zex in general. Right. Zex yeah, in general yeah. has Zex, been Zex in general. But but we didn't really have that in this particular series because like the only time really he could act in a way that was contradictory to his you know, his sense of self or or his, his sense of morals was in that battle in 18 where he was supposed to sacrifice himself. And, like, that's only inconsistent because there's no point mm-hmm. for the battle to be happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Good. We get a few new Atani tracks that really reminded me of Shadow of the Colossus. Yeah, um, something I was going to say was that there was a lot of... There were tracks here that look, reminded me of Xenosaur. Yeah, no, it was pretty good. I, I had a lot of fun. Especially the music that plays during the action scene when Wufei shows up. Yes, yes, yes. That, that, that track really, really slaps. Uh, so the next bad thing is these two bullet points both touch on the, the big evil issue of, of episode 19. Oh, yes. The un stuff is bad. Her turn feels like a show note from some doltish exec. By this time, Gundam Wing had been on air for several months, and the ratings weren't setting the charts on fire. I can well imagine a scenario in which Bandai pressured Tomioka and Sumizawa to make some significant changes. Remember, we're nearing the point when Bandai steps in to push Akeda off the project in order to boost ratings and attract some new viewers. Hence, Un's uh, Volt Face. Is that actually a term, or is he making a pun? V-O-L-T-E hyphen face that seems like it might be a pun uh i'm not familiar with it all right and then he also says you know furthermore un's psychiatric developments not only come off as unearned but offensive i want to perform a closer reading when we get further into the show uh so i think i I don't know if i have too much more to say on this right now obviously we already talked about this portion during uh, our discussion uh the only other thing that i would say really is like this is just something to keep an eye on. You know, that's kind of how I feel about it. Because you me- you mentioned your concern that you don't really remember this continuing through the text of the show. Yeah, I, I think that's the main like point yeah. of contention mm-hmm. is whether or not this is going to be. Yeah. If this was just like, like I, I, I don't know. This doesn't ring to me like the sort of change that would mm-hmm. come from an executive. Right, like, right. Because that typically is a little bit more like this is a little bit more involved with the story than those tend to be. Like, I don't know why a, a, an executive would look at Lady Un's character in particular and be like, make it so that her character changes extremely suddenly and and, and it's a psychotic break. Like, I'm just not sure what goal is accomplished there. Right, Like, typically right. when you have, like I call this uh, dudes in suits with clipboards making these kinds of decisions, and the reason I phrase it that way is because th- those are guys who are ultimately not concerned with landing the narrative goal as much as they're landing some kind of market goal or or a financial goal or something more cynical than that and i'm just not sure i like i agree that this is cynical but i'm not sure if it's cynical in that way mm-hmm. yeah. um uh volt face is it, it just means about face oh, okay um, just about face and it's a french uh term yeah. I, I don't i'm probably not saying it right yeah it's probably volte face or something like that it, it, one of those i'm actually not familiar vault i think it's a vault oh. face um like in uh, Borderlands. Yes, Vault Face. Yeah. yeah, Vault Face is who you play as in those games, right. I'm pretty sure. Exactly. The Vault Faces. Yep, definitely. Well, okay, let's move on to the last good point. I really enjoyed Hero's greeting speech at the <laughs> end of episode 18. 
This might be one of the few times when the amateurish and stilted localization enhanced the show, as it perfectly captured the tone and style of Hero's slipshod philosophizing. Again, I really wish they intentionally leaned into the show's inherent absurdity and saying, instead of playing everything so straight-faced, I wonder what Hero titled his speech. Two possibilities. Animals, formerly known as humans, or <laughs> pale pep talks. Um, I, you know, next, it's, it's a shame that next time we won't be um, talking about Gundam Wing. Because uh, I, I would like to pick Stephen Hero's brain on this a little bit. I don't know. This to me was like the most consistent philosophy that Hero's ever like I- exhibited. If you ask me, like there's you know, uh, I it, it's it's interesting. I agree with that. I like this bit, and I think that the lo- the dub works really well in this bit. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's off screen narration, so that they don't you don't have to do a lot of adapting. You don't have to do a lot of because like formal. Formal essay writing is essentially what, like, anime dialogue kind of sounds like sometimes. So, they, you know, I think part of the reason why it works is that. Um, but I, I think there's a cynicism here that, that makes sense. I, I, I could see a teen about Hero's age, like, sort of coming to this conclusion and feeling very, like... I'm just going to yell at the class. Like feeling like the smartest person on earth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like you definitely, that's like one of the things that helps add to that sense of, of teenage sort of like isolation from everyone around you is that you think you feel like you figured out the secrets to life and that no one will give you the chance to explain them or listen to them, you know? Yeah. 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 To sum that up, I'm I'm kind of not surprised about any of those points. Uh, I, I would love to, I guess it's the point of this show to like pick Steven Hero's brain a little bit more about that. I'm very like, I don't want to like subtweet him or talk about him while he's not here, while mm-hmm. he's trapped in sure. Jaburo. Yeah. Uh, but like, it really surprises me how little he's able to uh, enjoy this for what it is. Like, and I wonder, I think the main quality that prevents that is that he, it's like so close to being something he, he does want to watch. Like, I think if this was more of a venture brothers type of situation or like if this, the localization was like, a little more savvy and played this more like a Shin-Chan sort of thing where are you familiar with Crayon Shin-Chan? Yeah, the, the real the crazy Shin-Chan localization. The, in, yeah. the, in the original show is a children's show and, yeah. and in the dub it is not. No, <laughs> it is really not. Um uh and and I kind of wish that Gundam Wing got that treatment. Like I don't think I don't even think if it got localized now that's what would happen in particularly, but I think that would create a good show in in that case. Uh, but man, I'm glad to have released the Spectre. Yeah, I know. Finally, I to stop thinking about this. It yeah, really did not need to hold on to it as long as, as long as I did. Uh, in terms of going forward, uh, if, you, if you're if you're still with us, uh, and, you know, our plan going forward right now is that we will be returning to Pat Labor episodes three and four. Yes. next week we'll do those as a unit. Again, that's because of the structure of the OVA where the, the tapes three and four released at the same time. And then also five and six are, in fact, uh, a part one uh, and a part two. That's right. So they really do need to be uh, taken together as a whole. Um, in terms, just as a heads up for long-term planning, you may be wondering, are you guys just going to be doing Gundam Wing, uh, you know, whenever, or that randomly like this? And and the answer is the reason we filled in with Gundam Wing here is because, uh, you know, we're adults who keep track of our schedules. And there will be a period this summer 
where we will be without uh, Stephen Hero for for an extended period of time. That's right. And so during that time, we, uh, uh, Ignis and I, will be coming back and doing more Gundam Wing, probably getting us up to the break point uh, where there's like I think like you know, like 26 is like a break point because there's some some filler episodes after that. Yeah, there's going to be um, uh, a, a classic for extended series like this is the recap episode. Recap episodes, yeah. Hunter Hunter has a couple of those even. Um, but yeah, no, that will we will be explicit with y'all with our planning. We will, as always, you will be able to find updates on the, our our Twitter at uh, Mechanation Pod, Mechanations Pod, Mechanations Pod. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. At twitch.tv.com. Um, That's right. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, you will we'll always find the latest updates there. We'll try to keep you guys in, in, informed all the time. You know, we we try to stick to a schedule, but we also play it by ear. For example, uh, we noticed that people enjoyed our Marvel conversation. Yeah, with Endgame. no, the uh, the <laughs> the Avengers Endgame pod got listened to for sure. Um, and so you might see more of that sort of thing from us. There are other cultural artifacts coming out soon that that might fall into the machinations wheelhouse probably even more than avengers did in many ways i'm gonna take the second two this is a little bit different than what we normally do um but i do want to shout out another podcast real quick uh is a podcast called nerdy neighbors which is run by my brother uh and it is a sort of casual conversation between uh, my brother and whoever he decides to host it with, including his neighbor, who they discuss like modern pop culture and they they break it down in in a more casual sort of conversational way than we do. You know, we're a little bit more concerned about structure and narrative and that sort of thing. But uh, if you if you like what we talk about here, or looking for something more broad, more or uh, uh, I don't want to say mainstream because that has a negative connotation to it, but mainstream. Uh, Nerdy Neighbors is one I would recommend. Where can I find Nerdy Neighbors? So I know that some of them are on YouTube, but I don't actually know all of the platforms. Okay. I just encourage you to do a search with Nerdy Neighbors and see sure, where they pop sure. up. Um, they they don't have a, a, the same sort of outreach that we have here uh, with our platform. Other than that, I do you have any sum up uh, uh, ideas you want to share about these these three episodes of Gundam Wing? Uh, well, I you know I just hope that. I don't know. I hope watching Gundam Wing doesn't cause irreparable damage to my psyche. Yeah, I mean... uh, (laughs) That's really all I got. The main thing I would say about the next time we return to the show is that I hope Relina's in it. Yeah, mostly Relina. Really need Relina. I'm I'm missing Relina. So I was Ignis Maddox. PMC Trilogy. And we will catch you next time when we discuss Pat Labor uh, 4 and 5? 3 and 4. 3 and 4. 3 and 4. Do you remember before when I was talking about how I'd communicate clearly? I was lying. This was a lie. 3 and 4. Catch you next time. Bye. All right. Welcome to Mechanations, a critical analysis fuck. <laughs> a critical analysis fuck.